Hey guys, for the first time, I'm going to try something different today. I have so much information on the debate and hating the GOP and Iran that we really ran long because I got some really good sound bites that I wanted to play. So we're going to do two parts today. You're going to see uh, FOP 11620A and 11620B. The A part will be all our politics up to their RAND deal with some great sound bites and a little analysis by yours truly. And the B will be news and social media nuggets, which is going to be lengthy in itself. So we're going to try this going forward on my podcast days. I did not preface it in the intro, so I'm putting this audio in front of the intro so you know what we're going to do. But going forward, I think I'm going to try this when I have big, bulky podcasts. Instead of handing you three hours and 30 minutes, you'll get like a two and an hour and a half you have two podcasts, and we stretch out usually five days between podcasts. It gives you a couple things to listen to. I hope you enjoy it. If you think this is a good idea, once again, do some liking on SoundCloud, Facebook, or our Twitter account, which you know where they're at, FOP Tony Reed and Flyover Politic Podcast over there on Facebook. And tell me if this works. Enjoy. Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. from Louisiana State University and Clemson University, joined by the President of the United States and the First Lady.
and welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 16th of January, 2020. Went a day early because we got some wind and weather coming through, so the fishing trip was canceled till tomorrow. Got a little boat. 16-foot tracker don't do good in 15-mile-an-hour winds, just saying. So I decided to go today and had plenty, and we start off with hate, of course, because that's what this show is about. Liberals hate you, whether you want to agree with it or not or believe it. They hate you. And that was Trump at the national championship. And you could tell that was a great sound. But, yeah, they didn't like it. This is America. Deafening cheers break out for Trump and national championship game. Trump greeted with thunderous applause and cheers on Monday when he arrived at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in Louisiana. As Trump and Lady Trump walked on the field, they were greeted in overwhelming cheers and chants a USA broke out among fans in attendance. Steve Guest. The crowd went absolutely wild for Trump and Flotus at the college football national championship game as they walked on the field, chants a USA broke out. This is America, LSU versus Clemson. USA Today tweeted out a video that was taken from a different place in the stadium that showed the cheers were even louder than they appeared on the broadcast. The reaction inside Mercedes-Benz Superdome for President Trump and Melania Trump walking on the field. Before leaving the White House for the game on Monday, Trump told reporters, It'll be a great game. It'll be something that a lot of people want to see, and we will be in New Orleans, and we look forward to it. In November, Trump was greeted with thundering applause also at LSU Alabama. Yeah, you see what they're saying, right? Yeah. You southern people. Trump turned college football championship into mega rally. That's that's what the media said. Parents in New Orleans with safe political move that came during a turbulent time in the presidency reports Yahoo Sports Pete Thamel and MSDNC source suggested the president used appearance in a red state to distract attention from the impeachment and cozy up to his political supporters. An NBC News headline went even further declaring Trump joins LSU and Clemson and bid to turn college football into sports thing mega rally. Ugh. Jesus Christ. New Orleans playing side of the national championships located in the heart of the Southeastern Conference country where Trump ran up the score 58% or uh, over Hillary, sorry, 58% of Louisiana voters and 55% of South Carolina voters cast their ballots for him. Nonetheless, Thamel suggested his attendance of the game was political. Trump's appearance at the title game comes during a term of the time of his presidency, which led some to speculate that he's using the game as a distraction with an impeachment hearing and political tensions in Iran. Hal Reigns, former New York Times editor and current political commentator on MSDNC, joked that one of the hallmarks of the Trump presidency was his ability to change the subject, sometimes as quickly as with the tweet. The appearance cements his relationship with his core constituents. Certainly, it couldn't be safer politically in South Carolina and Louisiana. Trump could score political points by cozying up to Ed Ogeron, head coach at LSU. John Covalin, a Louisiana-based pollster and political consultant, this is a harmless diversion. He gets to show his face as something that's not involved impeachment or Iran. He sees it as a harmless way to show his face. Uh, hmm. Thamel explained that President Trump also received great support in his appearance at the Army-Navy game and the LSU-Alabama game during the regular season. The Yahoo writer also mentioned the president was roundly booed at the World Series. Yeah. Okay. Covering Trump's NCAA championship appearance for NBC News, Will Like 
Trump is always carrying himself like someone who's constantly hearing tens of thousands of people chanting his name in his head. So in an event like this, when it's actually happening, he is in his natural element. That's a fix you can't get in the White House. By comparison, when Barack Obama attended NBC Games last season, it was not declared a hope and change rally, nor was Obama accused of cozying it up. Huffington Post, Ed Manza said he was given a rapturous welcome in Toronto as he attended Game 2 of the NBA Finals between Golden State and Toronto Raptors. This is just like a normal presidential thing. That's what it is. It's not politics. It what It's what he does, and he's a sports fan. But they can't handle it, man. They then went crazy because some idiot video poor Vince Vaughn, a great guy, talking to POTUS. See, most of us are adults. If Obama, Barack Hussein Obama, walked up to me, and even though I think he's a steaming pile of garbage that destroyed this company, or this country, page in Oregon, I would still be polite, because the motherfucker was the president. And I'm polite to people regardless of what I think of them, because that's what you do as an adult. See, that's the difference between conservatives or middle of the country and the West Coasters and the East Coasters. We're adults. You don't treat people like shit. But that's what they did to poor Vince Vaughn. Liberals outraged at Vince Vaughn for speaking with President Trump. Actor Vince Vaughn caught flack from liberals on social media Monday night when he was seen talking to the president at the national championship game. Very sorry to share this video of you, all of it, every part of it, Timothy Burke wrote on Twitter. Posting a video that went viral. In reaction, people who said Vaughn was one of the most favorite actors disavowed him. His meeting with Trump is gross. Simply saying, fuck them both. Yet still other critics claim the left does not want to cancel Vaughn because they do not remember who he is, implying that he is no longer relevant. Those civilized interactions between two adults should not be news, neither is Vaughn's apparent interest in Republicans. Vaughn, of course, is a well-known libertarian. He has been outspoken on taxation and the Second Amendment. For, for And he even endorsed Romney, for God's sake, and Mitt Romney for president in 2012, and even once said Edward Snowden is a hero. Criticism for Vaughn, for, oh, today, uh, for those that are scar people, uh, Liga Pravada uh, T-52, one of my favorites. Um, I ran out of flying pigs, and there are no more flying pigs. But they were so old, I kind of burned through them, so I've had them for over a year, and even though the basement's nice and... Uh, humid and they were kind of dried out so i bought a five pack of t52s from uh famous smokes and they're delicious if you've not had a liga pravada t52 i'm not a guy who's gonna wax about the nicaraguan wrapper and all that shit i it just tastes good okay but uh, where the fuck was i i don't even know where the fuck i was oh i was talking about vaughn okay here we go 
Criticism for Vaughn, cordially speaking, with Trump was met with swift condemnation and mockery. You guys really have no idea how petty and ridiculous you look when you think you do this to do you, one person responded. Vince Vaughn is really trending because of that. Get a life. It's an amazing time to be alive when shaking the hand of the president is enough to get you canceled. Vince Vaughn doesn't strike me as one to give a shit, fortunately. Y'all have lost your minds. Please say a little prayer for Timothy, perturbed by three adults interacting in a civil manner. P.S. Vince Vaughn is canceled naturally. I'm not going to read the rest of the article. It is so ridiculous. It is so fucking ridiculous. I mean, that you act that way. Sure. I would not go out of my way to meet AOC... I saw Nancy Pelosi and she walked past me in the tunnel of the Capitol because you could be escorted between meetings. So they'll take you on the regular tram, not the important people tram. I saw her. Didn't say anything. But she wouldn't have noticed me anyway because she was doing her usual bashing Republicans to a bunch of reporters who really acted like they were friends. I mean, I, some I don't talk about the show because I don't want to sound like Mr. Name Drop. But I did seven fucking trips lobbying for the military. And I noticed the difference. And uh, reporters were very, very chummy with liberals. It validated what I already knew, but very chummy. But I wouldn't go out of my way, but if they walked up to me, I'd shake their hand. I probably wouldn't even say anything because adults don't do that. You know, what liberals have forgotten, Antifa's forgotten, everybody in this resistance forgot. You say what you want in the voter booth, but the majority of people burning down cities after the election didn't even vote. I don't believe you have a say. If you don't vote, shut the fuck up. That's where you get a talk. But this is who we are. Next, Brian Seltzer's job is to watch Fox News, so his spare time he can write a book about Fox News has found proof that we really are living in the dumbest timeline. Brian Seltzer. It's an actual headline on Fox homepage. We're really living in the dumbest timeline. Hogan Gidley left seems more upset about Vince Vaughn than Somali killing. Salamani. Salami. I was calling him killing. As Twitch reported, the blue check resistance really was triggered as 31-second video of the actor, blah, blah, blah. But halfway through the clip, Vaughn actually shakes his hand. We just checked on it, and so far it has 6.9 million views compared to that CNN primetime average of around 600,000 viewers. It has also racked up 27,000 likes and 6,700 retweets. So for Seltzer tweet complaining about Fox News has 20, 220 tweets. And to think someone could honestly say progressives seem more upset over the handshake than Salami's killing of more than 600 Americans. Responses. It is weird that the left is clearly obviously more upset about Vaughn. We'll prove the headline wrong. Nothing I have seen come out of the MSM would make me believe this wasn't true. It truly is a dumb timeline when the left goes nuts over Vince Vaughn having a convo with the president, but not the, not a killing of a president. Uh, a killing of a terrorist. It's a true statement. That's why he's pissed. He's pissed because it's fucking true. The reality is they did. They got. They sided with fucking Iran. We got a segment again today. Our this is America once again. 
is some liberal saying horrible fucking shit. I'm going to tell you right now, if Salami pulled off an IED on the presidential motorcade and he killed Trump, the media would find a way after the initial president of the United States was killed in a heinous act and then we go straight in an hour later to, well, the president had it coming. That's how they would handle it. Whereas, you know, if Salami had even tried to touch Obama, oh my God, we need to kill this motherfucker. But they'd be happy. I mean, all we heard about under Obama is about how many people, how many death threats to the president. Do you notice the media doesn't report that right now? But you know Moonbats, fuck, there's probably been a thousand attempts on the president that we don't even know about. At least a fucking thousand. Because these moonbats, gee, many crickets, man. They hate him so bad. It, it's it, it's above and beyond the normal, hey, GOP people are bad. It's just fucking horrible. Sorry. I'll get some drink. So then we got Alec Baldwin. Trump voters caused colossal destruction of America. See what I'm saying? This was not normal. You didn't talk about the voters. You talked about the candidate. And this is a dangerous precedent going forward. Because I guarantee you, far-right people are going to do the same thing for whoever gets elected in 2020 that's not named Trump. Paparazzo-beating actor... Alec Baldwin had nerve to accuse President Donald Trump and his supporters of causing the moral collapse of America. The 61-year-old turd from Saturday Night Live. Oh, I got all this stuff here. Baldwin blasted Trump supporters in a series of tweets for berating, bearing the blame of the country's destruction. Yeah, it was unhinged. The Oscar winner began with some overdone rambling about the real meaning of America. The country has always been a struggle between the misaligned protection protections of specific freedoms and raging at times intoxicating 12-cylinder economy. Yeah, 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 whatever. Too bad his rational adult facade was shattered with a childish hate-filled tirade about 63 million voters. Baldwin mentioned something about America needing vigilant, consistent regulation, compassionate for the disenfranchised and necessary sacrifice, but Trump voters are destroying that. He lamented the desecration of those ideals and near-moral collapse of this country falls squarely in the lap of Trump supporters. Really? Is it Trump supporters going out in the street and burning shit and beating people with Hope and Change outfits on? Has anybody seen that? I I haven't. But it but it's our media. Gonna play a soundbite. MSDNC plugs pale and pounding PBS film on the rise of racism under Trump. See, New York Times started now. Everybody's got to do it. There's a tremendous dose of racism going on during the time period from the rise of the right. It all starts to make that make sense that Trump didn't create all these moments. He's just the inhibitor of it. This came from PBS. We we paid for this shit. Joe and Mika. Has the right always been racist? And my question for that is, well, A, it's low-hanging fruit for Dems. Of course they're racist. You've always said they're racist. I mean, there's never been a time in our country that you haven't said the right is racist. But if that's the case, Joe, before you put your dick in Mika, you were a Republican. 
So are you a racist? Uh, I'm just asking. And then MSDNC touts forensic colonoscopy of the Vichy Republicans, Frank Rich. Yeah. Yeah. And then we'll really come in to some serious, this is what's wrong with America. This is the moral decline. Enjoy. So people will come to a show. They will register to vote. (laughs) They register to vote. And then they will dance. That's right. I mean, at my stand, that's right. And and we dance for like 15 minutes at a time. And then um, we like pause and I call it synagogue announcements. We pause for temple time and uh, and we invite a Democratic candidate up. And, um, you know, I ask people, you know, get their Instagram handle. It's kind of like canvassing through Instagram because we're all scrolling, scrolling, scrolling all day. Um, now, why only Democratic candidates? Don't you want everyone to vote? And wouldn't it be funnier to see Republican candidates dance? No, no, it's just like, it's just, I mean, maybe 20 years ago, maybe there could have been an interesting conversation between parties, but it's not even interesting anymore. It's like human rights versus anti-human rights. I'm I'm over it. I don't need to. um, I see. And also, who am I reaching? You know what I mean? Like, I might as well. Yeah. Now you have this uh, stand-up comedy special, which is called The Planet is Burning, which makes it sound like if you're flipping through uh, a documentary (laughs) about climate change. Right. You know, but, and that is part of, but that is not what it is. No, it's like a stand-up special that's you shot funny it and delightful. In Houston, Texas, which seemed odd to me. Yeah, Why you Houston? know, it's like I'm, um, I guess I'm uh, kind of known as a New York Jew. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and then the only other place I go all the time is L.A., New York and L.A., and everybody's like, Houston elites or whatever. Um, <laughs> but it's like nobody on the coast are smarter than people in the middle of the country. Everybody's just a dumb American, I guess. Yeah. Um, but when I go on tour, when I've been on tour, it's so cool to see how actually progressive and diverse and queer and gay the middle of the country is. And I find that in Texas. Sarah Palin, by the way, by 2008 had figured that out and tapped into it and lit that match that match that then becomes the tea party based on the economic dislocation michael and hold, Obamacare. That, hold that thought because i want to play for our audience uh, a piece of this uh, documentary about sarah palin let's watch together Great. i was reading today a copy of the new york times if you want to pinpoint the moment when the right completely rejected the left. We have a scarcity of confidence. I think it was over the Sarah Palin nomination. Now this is not a man who sees America as you and I see And for one brief shining moment, the right saw her as everything they were looking for. Brash, tough, independent. Someone who said what they meant and meant what they said and wouldn't edit it for anyone. Michael, what's curious to me about that? Frank Luntz there saying someone who said what they meant and meant what they said. That is a feeling of populist and nativist movements around the world. The idea that the establishment has lied to me. But that is a right. feeling that people on the left and the right should have in America. Why has this movement largely occupied uh, the right in their political movement? Why, are, why did they feel more cheated? Is it because Obama happened to be in power when this movement started to develop? I think there's a, a great deal... Uh, of truth to that, Ali. And I also think that the right had spokespeople like Palin and that cudgel was picked up by 
Trump and others. This is this is a movement and right wing radio rises up in the United States at the time. Facebook starts to emerge. All of the t- technology starts to carry uh, uh, all the messages. And then the Russians come along and, and, and by the summer of 2016 are using Facebook, uh, Twitter and other devices to to get into the divisions that are already existing in our society. That's how it got spread in that all important period while Obama is president. And if you add to that the fact that there was a tremendous dose of racism going on during that time period uh, from the rise of the right, you uh, it all sort of makes sense that Trump himself, who didn't create all of these moments, he's just the natural inheritor and willing to cross that line and feed that base throughout many moments that happen in his presidency. So you really get a strong sense that he's uh, responding to his base and that that division... Mm-hmm. Uh, is one that's not going to move easily one way or the other as long as they have a strong spokesperson uh, carrying the torch, and that's obviously Trump. Michael, thank you for the remarkable work you've done on this. I uh, I look forward to uh, watching the whole documentary. Michael Kirk is the producer of America's Great Divide, from Obama to Trump, premiering tonight on PBS. Come- since, since we have four, count them, I mean, we didn't plan this, but since we have four former Republicans here, um, uh, you will hear from, like, our good friend Charlie Pierce that the party was always corrupt, it was always rotten, it was always racist. You are now reaping what you sow. Uh, Rick, there are a lot of times where I've been sitting around the last three years going, wait a second. Were the liberals right? Were all those liberals that said the GOP was racist and that evangelical? Like, all the things that I've been my entire life, evangelical. Southern Baptist, right. uh, a proud Southerner, uh, like you just you just go down the list right now. You look at it and, you know, 95 percent of the people who voted for me when I was running a very, on a very different yep. platform, uh, they're all Trump supporters now. You know, I think that Trump catalyzed some very dark things that we wanted to look away from from a long time for a long time. And we kind of wanted to keep the crazy uncle part of the party in the closet, whip them out to vote every couple We usually did. We usually did. I mean, I used used to mock the press for always going for the wacko early in the process. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, you do that because this reinforces what you believe about Republicans. They'll never make it. I wrote a column called Crazy Never Wins in 2012. And we usually got the Mitt Romneys. We usually got the Bob Doles. We usually got the Gerald Fords. You're saying something that I have long believed, and it's one of the things that, that I find so strange about people like William Barr. William Barr knows there's going to be another attorney general someday, and it's going to be a Democratic attorney general. And that attorney general is going to have the power to look at every single thing William Barr did. Uh, and, yeah. and, and it's coming at some point. It's coming, and you feel these people like him or that crackpot senator who's parroting Putin down in Louisiana, John Kennedy, Mm -hmm. in quotes, uh, they're acting as if there's no tomorrow. There's never a reckoning. And what I try to do in this piece is make the point, whoever goes to jail or doesn't go to jail, whatever crimes are found out now or in the course of a Trump presidency is nothing compared to what's been buried that none of us know about, not even a very uh, zealous investigated press has found yet. And people are going to be turning over rocks for decades and you, know, you look back at history, General Motors and Ford both had executives who were essentially Hitler appeasers. And, and in case of General Motors, 
involved were involved in the armaments that were used against American troops in manufacturing them in Germany during the war. It took 40 years to find all that out, but it all came out. And people who support these kind of regimes, whether it be appeasement then or America first in the 30s, or Trump, which is, you know, a, a, let's face it, a criminal presidency, however you want to slice it, um, it's, it's, there's going to be a reckoning. And one other thing I wanted to mention is we can only take the Nixon analogy so far because, yes, Nixon abused his office. He also tried to throw a presidential campaign, but it would never occur to him to collaborate and aid the Soviet Union, America's own enemy, it would never occur to him, to my knowledge, to break up immigrant families at the border and turn away uh, refugees um, from horrors in other uh, countries. It would never occur to him to, uh, quite the contrary, to fight climate climate change science and to downgrade a regulation of environmental uh, poisons. And so these are really serious crimes, and whether they produce... Uh, jail sentences or not for the people who did them, they'll be implicated, and so will their children and their grandchildren. There's going to be a stain. They just are unhinged, man. They're just unhinged. I mean, these fucking people hate the GOP so much, but it's accentuated with Trump hate. Michael Bennett, here you are, the pro I'm building you up, and you come into this race in mid-January now, and you're picking a candidate. Why? This late. Why this one? Because I think I think that Trump and Trumpism is the greatest threat this country has faced since the fall of communism. And the only way to deal with it is to defeat it resoundingly. Trumpism doesn't have to just be defeated at the, the polls. It's got to be decimated. What happened to the Republican Party? The opposition party from your thinking, but the party that wasn't evil, it wasn't stupid. Nobody said he's a good, honest guy. I mean, it was immaculate, immaculate, not a single positive comment. Uh, And yet they bow bow to him like he's the emperor of Siam. They bow to him without ever respecting him personally. I'd explain. Right. I look, the Republican Party that you and I knew does not exist. There's only Trump and Trumpism. The Republicans are going to do nothing about it. It is up to the Democrats. It is up to the Democrats to eradicate the scourge. Yeah. And the Democrats have to save the United States. That's it. There's no other choice. Let's talk about Iran and the recent sort of destabilizing of that, of that region and, and the world. A lot of people are nervous all over the place about what's going on there. What does this mean for Trump? Well, that's a good question because... I initially thought that this was, you know, one of his major deflections. Um, which that is, perhaps it was so we wouldn't talk about impeachment? You thought that was I, one of the you things You know, we've doing? always wondered how far he would go to distract from what is going on. And nobody seemed to really understand what was the basis for the decision. And there are people saying, well, I didn't really have the information. The Secretary of Defense did not have any information on the basis for this attack. Uh, but trusts the president. I mean, we're in crazy town. You look at the polls that have come out, Americans are scared. They're nervous about this. Only one in four Americans believe that the attack on Soleimani makes America a safer place. And the overwhelming majority of Americans were against the strike. You wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post, Joe, in December about impeachment and courage. Who needs the courage here? Uh, Like every Republican. I mean, 
I think I think every Republican. I, I also think Democrats, um, is as far as understanding that what they're doing is not about 2020. What they're doing is about history. It's about sending a message to future presidents. It's about sending a message to future politicians. It's what I don't understand. What job is worth selling your political soul for? One of the things that, that frustrates me is, is you hear the common refrain, when is Donald Trump going to pay for this? When is Donald Trump going to pay for all the lies? When is he going to pay for the re recklessness? The American people have proven he already has, and he will again. The 2018 election, there was a reason why in the House Republicans lost by the largest vote landslide in the history of the republic. If you look at the polls... That's hopeful. Yeah. That's a hopeful idea. Well, no, that, that is a hopeful idea. They just hate him so much. And that hate gets magnified and goes on the voters. Anybody who doesn't think like us. And, and I think Tom Brokaw a couple podcasts ago nailed it. I mean, it is social media. Social media has given everybody the ability to literally be anonymous and say whatever the fuck you want to say. So they say it. But now they say it in person. And you feel it coming out of the candidates. I mean, there's going to be a deplorable moment. It started with bitter clingers, their guns and Bibles with Obama. Then it just came out to 50% of Trump voters are deplorable, xenophobes, sexist, uh, the Hillary soundbite. Well, now we have another, and this is going to be about nine minutes, Project Veritas, where a far-left campaign staffer for Bernie Sanders appeared to repeatedly advocate for the use of extreme violence in a video, this guy's name is hes the Iowa field organizer, Kyle Jurek. And so I make sure you hear all this. This is what he said on reaching people that he seems to be fascist. The only thing that works, the only thing that fascists understand is violence. So the only way you confront them is violence. And what happens if Trump's reelected? Fucking cities burn. On if Trump supporters should be re-educated. I mean, we got to try. So like in Nazi Germany after the fall of the Nazi party, there was a shit ton of populace that was fucking Nazified. Germany had to spend billions of dollars re-educating their fucking people to do not be Nazis. Like, we're probably going to have to do the same fucking thing here. That's kind of the Bernie whole fucking like, hey, free education for everybody because we're going to have to teach you to not be a fucking Nazi. This isn't the first time, boys and girls, we've had the re-education camps on Soviet gulags. There's a reason Joseph Stalin had gulags, right? And actually, gulags were a lot better than what the CIA has told us they were. Like, people were actually paid a living wage in gulags. They had conjugal visits in gulags. Gulags were actually meant for, like, re-education. Gulags are great! This is what these people think. On what will happen if Sanders not win the Democratic nomination? If Bernie doesn't get the nomination or goes to second round of the DNC convention, fucking Milwaukee will burn. It'll start in Milwaukee, and then when the fucking, and when the, the police push back and that other city just fucking explosion sounds gestures, we'll be ready to be in Milwaukee for DNC conventions. That's all I'm going to say. We're going to make 1978, 1968 look like fucking Girl Scout fucking cookout. 
Remember what happened when Governor got fucked in Chicago in 78? It was actually 68. Riots, fucking people getting beaten by cops. The cops are going to be ones that are fucking beaten in the Milwaukee. They're going to call up the National Guard for this shit. I promise you that. If Bernie doesn't get, if they fucking take Bernie for us, then we have nothing else left to lose on using violence against those who use offensive free speech. Whatever it takes. And that's why we're like, oh, anti-fascists are violent. It's because we're willing to go about and beyond what the law says is acceptable. Like, oh, free speech, yeah. Like, they're trying to be like, oh, you're against free speech. And no, we're not against free speech. We're against fucking hate speech. And if your speech is something like these people shouldn't exist, then I don't give a fuck if it's free speech or not. You don't need, like, free speech. I'm going to go on. It goes on for a while. Uh, I'm wanting to throw down. I'm ready to throw down now. I don't want to wait and have to wait for fucking DNC against the billionaire class. The fucking media pundits walking to the embassy studio, drag those motherfuckers out by their hair and light them on fire in the street. And what will happen to those who support oppose Sanders? Well, I'll tell you what. In Cuba, what do they do, reactionaries do? You want to fight against revolution? You're going to die for it, motherfucker. Yeah, this, my friends, is the left. And and before a liberal out there in Berkeley or Mountain View, California, I'm hoping you're not all liberals. I, I enjoy your listens, so keep listening. I'm not saying don't listen. I'm just saying, before you say doctored, this shit ain't doctored. None of this shit's ever been doctored. Full nine-minute videos. We had abortion. I mean, the problem with the left is they... They're duped. They get duped all the time and let people a fuck in, and they say what they really believe. And I respect that, because I think they should. I mean, I truly wish, you know, Bernie would get on the stage and say, we're going to burn this fucker down. Because, yeah, he didn't get fucked last time. But this is what they really feel. Remember, anti-fascists are just a bunch of bullshit. These people want anarchy. They want socialism. They fucking hate America. Bernie isn't even good enough for these people. The majority of these fucks running around their little black faggot ass fucking beer, uh, faggot ass fucking mask and faggot, I'm saying faggot, I don't give a fuck, and their fucking helmets and their fucking bats. They're all a bunch of chai sipping latte fucks who feel like they're badass when they go up and beat on people and sucker punch them. And, and we keep proving on this. So they beat gay people. They beat black people. They beat reporters. They beat a liberal reporter. And they're not provoked. There's no provoking an Antifa anymore. The only time there was provoking, you can even say, was Charlottesville. Everything else has been them. They're the ones. These are the same fucks that did the Occupy Wall Street. They're the same fucks that went to the goddamn trade fucking convention in Seattle and burned that fucker down. Went after capitalist organizations like Starbucks. These are bad fucking people. Listen to this and tell me, defend, that this isn't all the left. Anybody out there, send me an email. This is the left. This is a far, far left. This is what these people think. And they believe they're within their rights to beat anybody up 
who doesn't think like them. Like, free speech has repercussions. So if Trump gets reelected, what? Cities burn. The only thing that fascists understand is violence. So the only way that you can confront them is with violence. It's a directive from Bernie that we can't attack Warren. I think it's also fair to point out that when we were in Moscow, for example, people here also were extremely impressed by their public transportation system. Meet Kyle Jurek, a field organizer in Iowa for presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. Jurek says cities are going to burn if Trump gets reelected. These are worrisome words from someone who works for a man running to be president of the United States. Now, the evidence shows Kyle Jurek has been in politics since 2018, when, according to these FEC records, Jurek was paid $500 while working for the Democratic Senate Campaign Committee. The FEC records also show he has worked for the Sanders campaign for over six months. And so far, Jurek has earned nearly $11,000. Yeah, they, they seem emboldened. They have been emboldened by, by Trump, all that rhetoric. Um, they are scared senseless of anti-fascists. Like, even, like, even, like, the ones that are kind of like, you know, the right-wing people. The only thing that works, the only thing that fascists understand is violence. So the only way that you can confront them is with violence. So if Trump gets reelected, what? F***ing cities burn. What we gotta do? Yeah. I mean, we don't have a lot of time left. We have to save, like, human civilization. And obviously, Trump, you don't get too about making sure that the world doesn't burn. Bernie doesn't get the nomination. Bernie goes to the second round of the DNC convention. Milwaukee It'll start in Milwaukee and then when they and when the police push back on that and other cities. Be ready to be in Milwaukee for the DNC commission. Well, what I'm say. Oh, I plan on being there. What about Des Moines? We're gonna make 1978 look like a girl scout cookout. <laughs> what does that mean? Remember what happened when McGovern got fucked in Chicago in 1978? Riots. People get beaten by the cops. The cops are going to be the ones that are getting beaten in Milwaukee. You're going to call out the National Guard for that shit. Jurek is clearly very radical, but also very confused about his political history. He talks about riots in Chicago in 1978 when George McGovern was running for president. In fact, the riots were in 1968 when Hubert Humphrey was the Democratic nominee. McGovern ran for president in 1972, and there were no riots that year. Like, if Bernie doesn't, if, it, if they f***ing take Bernie from us, then we have nothing else left to lose. But it all costs, whatever it takes. Um, and that's why, like, when they're like, oh, anti-fascists are violent, it's because we're willing to go above and beyond what the law says is acceptable. Like, oh, free speech, yeah. Like, they're, they try to be like, you know, oh, you're a victim, or you're, you're against free speech. No, we're not against free speech. We're against hate speech. And if your free speech is something that, like, these people shouldn't exist, then I don't give a f if it's 
free speech or not, you don't need to, like, free speech has repercussions. Yeah. You, there are consequences to your Right. Um, and if your speech is calling for the elimination of people based on race or gender or uh, uh, religious, uh, like for whatever reason, like things that people can't change, then you should expect a violent reaction. And you deserve a violent reaction because, like, that's it's just not an acceptable thing. It's not acceptable. So many people have suicided themselves that have been related to the Clintons in some way or another. It's fucking insane. Kill the Clintons? Maybe. Revolution. Kill the Clintons? Revolution is on. Let me tell you something about this revolution. No, we we don't gotta kill the Clintons. We'll make them kill themselves. How's that? Reign of terror. It's clear in Jurek's idea of a revolution, Democratic candidates like Tom Steyer and Mike Bloomberg wouldn't be safe, and in his world, networks like MSNBC or even moderate liberals wouldn't be immune. Throw down? I'm ready to throw down now. I don't, I don't want to wait, have to wait for Yeah, with who though? Who, who's he going to throw down with? Billionaire class. Media. Media. Go walk into that MSNBC studio, drag those up by their hair and light them on fire in the streets. Guys like that. What are we going to do with them? Gulag. <laughs> Liberals get the fucking wall first. What are we going to do with those people that resist the change? Because that's a big deal. Well, I'll tell you what. In Cuba, what do they do to reactionaries? They shot them on the beach. You want to fight against the revolution? You're going to die for it, <laughs> motherfucker. Jurek also has some pretty harsh words for Sanders' rival on the left, Elizabeth Warren. He is particularly critical of her staffers in Iowa. They're like sending canvassers to our events. Like, we had that climate summit with Naomi Klein and AOC. F***ing Warren campaign, campaign people show up, want to table the event, want to set up a table for Warren at the event. We're like, get the out of here. This isn't a Warren event. You're not coming in here and f***ing scooping up people? Like, no. No. It is a competition, you know. I mean, yeah, like, we're not on the same team, guys. Like, you know, like, I know you guys like to say, like, hey, Warren's just like Bernie, but a woman. But guess what? You're done. We're not on the same team. Yeah, I, I put it Bernie's a bad judge of character. So, like, he has, like, uh, Weaver, who, uh, who is his, like, one of his, like, campaign, like, like senior advisors. Uh, is a shit dude. But he like, but he likes him. You know, Bernie likes him. Bernie's, you know, he's 78 years old, and he's, like, seven ways, and he, like, yeah. you know, that's one, one weakness that Bernie has, is he's a bad judge of character with some people. Like, he loves Elizabeth, like, he's friends with Elizabeth Warren. He's friends with you know, what can you do? Uh, I mean, he, Bernie has, like, kind of started opening up lines of attack against Warren. Uh, but he keeps it, but he keeps it policy-based. People tell me that at, on the doors. Like, yeah, you know, I like Bernie, but I really want a woman to be, it's like, wait, so, like, you're okay with a woman if she has worse policies? Like, just because she's a woman. Because she has a vagina, that's why you're going to vote for her. Like, if we could beat Donald Trump, as long as we nominate a woman. Like, 
idiot. It's like, what the? They don't get it, man. Like the world is on fire. This is an emergency situation, and you're hung up on vaginas. <laughs> is this someone you want to be part of your government? Keep in mind, Jurek was an open book. On day one, he told us he wanted to punch quote Nazis, burn cities down if Trump wins again in a free election, and spoke of shooting people, shooting people if they couldn't be quote re-educated. Is Kyle Jurek the true but hidden face of the Sanders campaign? Is the Sanders campaign going to fire Kyle Jurek? Are they going to say he's a lone wolf or an isolated incident? Well, in our next release, you will hear Jurek say some of the most shocking and disturbing totalitarian aspirations ever spoken during a presidential campaign. Stay tuned, America. More to come. Folks, that's fucking horrible. Afterwards, uh, or the tweets that came with it, part one, there's a part two coming out. Bernie Sanders, 2020 field organizer, states fucking cities will burn if Trump wins. Re-election calls for violence, mass murder, opposition, and reign of terror. O'Keefe is following up the video with some reporting Tuesday in advance of the debate. He noted that Sanders' campaign Iowa State Director has locked down her Twitter account. Why are your tweets protected, Mr. Brick? Is it because you're... You are the Iowa State Director and have authority responsibility for employing Kyle Jurek. He speaks of gulags, violence, and re-education camps. What is the status of his employment? Breaking our Project Veritas reporters are outside the Anakim, Iowa, Bernie Sanders office right now. It seems Jurek and other staff members have locked the doors, turned out the lights, and are held up inside to avoid answering our question. Story developing. Stay tuned. Which I have not gone back. Let's go back to his site. What is this? Huh, okay, that wasn't it. Um, I think it's awful sad this was so a little attention. Sarah Sanders, okay, let me see, breaking. Part two, Sanders 2020 organizer. There are things that are more important than the rule of law in the USA. Declares his views are shared by many others within the campaign. Secret Service notified over POTUS assassination concerns. All right, we're going to tape this. We're going to listen to this and go out to music break. Um, yeah, yeah, this, 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 this is the left. So we'll do a music break. We'll come back into uh, some more fucking bullshit from our media and their hate. On Tuesday, we met Bernie Sanders campaign staffer Kyle Jurek, an extreme radical who's been paid more than $10,000 for his campaign work. We wonder, many other radicals like Jurek are embedded in the Sanders campaign apparatus. Jurek's ideas are beyond scary, especially his take on the Soviet Union's gulags. There's a reason Joseph Stalin created gulags. Right, and actually, gulags were a lot better than like what like the CIA has told us that they were. Wait a second, this is crazy talk. 
I mean, the most comprehensive literary work about the Soviet Union was done by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who won the Nobel Peace Prize for describing the horror, the violence, the tragedy, the carnage, the genocide that occurred in the Soviet gulags. And while we released a video yesterday, this video has even more discussion and praise about these gulags. Quote, prisoners would have their skulls squeezed with iron rings, that a human being would be lowered into an acid bath, that they would be trussed up naked to be bitten by ants and bedbugs. Amron heated over a primus stove would be thrust up their anal canal, the secret brand, that a man's genitals would be slowly crushed beneath the toe of boot, and that, in the luckiest possible circumstances, prisoners would be tortured by being kept from sleeping for a week, by thirst, and by beaten to a bloody pulp. Uh, so that, like, that was the intention of, of gulags, right? Like, not only to, like, limp, to, like, remove the, like, people that were, like, insidious to the state from the state, like, hey, you guys are all causing problems. You're, like, working against the revolution. We're just going to remove you and put you in Siberia, where you learn the f***ing value of, like, being a comrade. Like, I mean, and that's like, you know, that's what it has to be. Like, our prisons in the United States right now are far worse, far worse than anything that they experienced in the gulag. Like, people get raped. People fucking work 12 hours a day. People have to go fight fires in California for a dollar. You know what I mean? Like, that's fucked up. That's super fucked up. Um, so you didn't do that shit. Like... Yeah, you're gonna get. You're not gonna get Bernie to say gulags, but like, I'm all for gulags. Like, I, I, I feel as though it's to be re-education for a significant portion of our society. I think he is too. I mean, but you can't. Uh, running for president in the United States, you can't say you can't say anything like that, right? Well, and then, like you said, I mean, if people don't want to get on board, it's you know, you were saying that the gulags are better than. Whatever. Putting them against the wall. Yeah. And the alternative, instead of like trying to like re re educate these people and put them back into society, the other the only other alternative is to f you know what I mean? Bernie Sanders calls himself a democratic social but Jurek says he is more communist than a democratic socialist and he's proud of it. And he proclaims he is not alone. That's crazy though that I would say. Yeah. It's like I know we have a lot of like the communists and the Marxists like on our side, but yeah. that's I'm one of them. Yeah, I mean, in fact, there's that I know of two, three, two, three, four, four of the organizers in this office are are you know, leftists of some <laughs> of some degree further left than they kind of change. Right. To what degree, you know, varies, but many of many of the organizers that I've met. Uh, I didn't even count Justin. So Justin, me, Derek, Danielle, uh, Jessica, uh, are all definitely further left than democratic socialism. There's a lot of me's in the Bernie campaign. Like the whole basis of like communism is like people, like people and planet above property, right? Like mm -hmm. we're here to preserve the planet, preserve people. We don't want to have to like eliminate people. Right, but if people are going to try to fight back against the revolution, like when you hear about like uh, so like atrocities committed by like in Cuba, like Fidel and Day, like killing people, like those people that were actively like they were anti-revolution, they were like they were they're fighting against the revolution, like in any war, like you like when you guys are in war, 
and you encountered people that were fighting against you, what did you do to those people? Right? I mean, that same thing, same thing holds true in revolution, right? Like, you can't abide people, like, actively working against your revolution. Like, you can, you can give them a choice. Be like, hey, you can join the revolution. You can not be a bootlicker. Uh, you can steadily buy and allow it to happen, but if you're going to take up arms against the revolution, then you should expect a violent response, right? Like, it's natural. Fight or die. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of where we're at right now. That's we're at. A, we're at one of those moments in human history where it's like we're fighting for survival. We're fighting for the survival of the entire human race. We're fighting for, for the survival of living creatures on planet Earth. Uh, and and you know, there's some people that will stop at nothing to preserve that, right? Like right. to see that, to see the human race continue into the future, right? right? To try to save the planet from mm-hmm. destruction um, and no matter what country or what laws that exist they don't they're irrelevant to there are things greater than those than, than those systems right right um, there are things that are more important than the rule of law in the United States when it comes down to the existence of a human race and that's where we're at unfortunately and like this is like there are very few there are probably no other points in human history in like recorded human history where like the stakes were as high as they are right now like we are we're we're at the end we're at the end of the road and the way we choose to go is going to determine like hey are we going to continue as a species or are we going to burn up in a center Derek goes on to say that even violent groups like Antifa are folded quietly into the Sanders campaign staff. So I know you have like the Antifa sticker on your laptop. Have you ever done like been in any of those like crazy? There was a couple of the, uh, events they came to like Lansing and they came to Ann Arbor. Uh huh. Did you ever like ha- help out or participate? Uh, yeah, I mean like so like. I didn't help organize it, uh, but I was there in support. Uh huh. You know, I have yet to punch a Nazi. There's some here. A lot of them are probably on the Bernie campaign, uh, but there are some DS- There's a DSA chapter here, so like some of the DSA folks are probably engaged. We've been looking. We've been looking for an action to like participate in, like in regards to like, oh look at that action. That's it. Uh, well, like in regards to like immigration and ICE, mm-hmm. we've been looking for look, looking for something to pop off where we can pop right back off. Earlier this week, we sent one of our journalists into Jurek's office check on his status. I, I've met him a few times. Yeah, I've met him at an event with Rose, and then we were talking about policy yeah, and stuff. Yeah, he's fabulous. Okay. So, yeah, just life. It's so unfortunate because he's been here like all summer. Yeah, yeah. Because like, I met him a few times, but I was busy with other campaigns. Like, you know. Yes. But he didn't get fired? Yeah, I mean, What would you kind of consider yourself? Like, where on that spectrum? I'm an anarcho communist. So, I'm as far to the left as you can possibly get. But I'm also very liberal. Like, so, like, there's two. There's two. Uh. Uh, axes. Mm-hmm. One is 
um, capitalism versus com- communism all the way, and then one is authoritarianism to liber- libertarianism, right. like on the bottom. So if you're on the left-hand corner, you're libertarian, but you're also communist. So like a lot of what they call, sometimes they're called libertarian socialists, right. um, and sometimes they're called anarcho-communists, um, but those two are pretty much interchangeable. Um, and then on the top, you have like your, your Marxist communists, and so right. like... Um, your Stalins and your, you know, like they're very authoritarian mm-hmm. communists, right? Um, so there's a there's a, a great spectrum in between on the, of, of like authoritarian to libertarian, mm-hmm. but on the left, right? Yeah. And yeah. sometimes sometimes I get up and I see pretty authoritarian, uh, and sometimes <laughs> I get up and I and I you know I, I feel normal like my libertarian self, uh, but normal. You know, one thing I say is if you if you can't handle me at my most communist, you don't don't deserve me at my most uh, libertarian. Translated to Fop Podcast is the best. Only you didn't do my bonus. And listen. Only you didn't do my bonus. Wing and listen. Wing and listen. 
swinging lizards. Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reid. The House Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy, uh, kind of trolling, <laughs> created some problems this morning or tried to create some problems this morning by suggesting that maybe Joe Biden should suspend his campaign in fairness to his Senate colleagues. If there's anyone who gained from this, it'd be anybody who's running for president that's not in the U.S. Senate. With Iowa quickly upon us in early February... Those four senators who are running for president will now no longer have a voice. If you look at the true political nature of why, to harm one campaign and give a benefit to another. The only rightful thing of Joe Biden is to make a pledge not to campaign, but Bernie Sanders cannot. Michael Steele, as a former Republican national chairman, I am sure Joe Biden is taking advice from the yeah, House Minority yeah. Leader you know, they, as to how to run his After they heard that, they sat down and said, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe we should think about that. Let's yeah. just drop out Let's for now. Let's drop out for now. So that's actually Andrea Mitchell mocking the, the Minority Leader. I mean, let, let's look at this for a second, folks. What is, what's the difference? I, I go back to what literally I have said on the show for fucking ever. The media, Obama, they said it with fancy fucking words. That fucking piece of human slap that fucking ran his cock trap for 18 minutes. They're the same people. They just don't go on TV and go, you need to be re-educated. But they think it. Don't think they don't think it. Those motherfuckers think it. They believe, if you don't believe in 95 pronouns, you're a fucking piece of shit. They believe America is a steaming pile of fuck, and if you're proud of America, you got to be a racist. They just don't say it the same way. But the re-education camps and the way the media covered burning of cities, you can tell they're on the same team. I mean, for fuck's sake, the father of Antifa got brought on MTP. Chuck Todd wanted to give him some cover that, you know, come on, they're good people. They're just fighting those racists. And everybody's a racist and a fascist if you voted for Trump. Oh, and a terrorist. It just goes hand in hand. And it's all forced. You know, when I did Google search for this show, it's amazing. I look for simple things, but there was no way Google wasn't handing me anti-Trump shit. I could search the most inane things and a Trump article would show up on the front page. It just happened every fucking time. And then this article comes out. Journalists funded by Google also give it good ratings. Leading journalists and editors around the world have some advice for social media companies. There needs to be more censorship. In a 2020 report released by Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism, 233 people from 32 countries, including the United States, complained about misinformation in tech and where it stands in relation to journalism. It's grim out there, so one unnamed leading U.S. publisher. This attitude extended to social media companies. 17% of those polled approved of Facebook's attempt to remove misinformation 
information and disinformation from the platform. YouTube came in second to last place with 18% approval rating, while Google was given a 34% approval rating. Twitter had a 41% approval rating because the platform had completely banned ads for politicians. The report and prediction were dire. In elections, the role of platform will be increasingly politicized with direct attacks and accusations of bias from prominent politicians. Misinformation and disinformation will spread in the era of post-truth politics. But journalists aren't simply blaming politicians for this. Tech platforms are also at fault, according to the report. Swiss Broadcasting Corporation Vincent Schmidt was quoted as saying, Most flat platforms still hold the position, if it's not criminal, it's free speech, which is unacceptable. One more, they take the money and leave the costly work, fact-checking, counter-argument, etc., to journalists from media outlets. The Reuters Institute for Study of Journalism has received a grant from Google for the past five years. Google gave the Institute 8.47 pounds. 8.47 million pounds. The study released found that 60% of journalists surveyed gave Google a score of average or higher. Facebook 25, Snapchat 12, Amazon 7. Other key points from the survey include the journalists rating themselves on a racial diversity. Only 33% believe that they were doing a good job with racial diversity. One of the solutions offered in the report was software that could help measure diversity. So Google gives money, they get good things, and of course, our journalists love Google because they won't report Fox News, Daily Wire. You can literally type in with Daily Wire, you're going to get the top result being a CNN. Something negative on Daily Wire. But our journalists, they're no different than that guy from Bernie. Aaron Rupar. Vox. I don't want to sound like Alex Jones here, but is this some sort of secret communication? Racking my brain to make any sort of sense of this, it nearly hit 70 degrees in D.C. today. White House, first snow of the year. That is because the photo was taken on January 7th, a day that is not today. It appears that the press corps both lacks an understanding of verb tense and freely publishes wishful thinking. This is a type Russian propaganda technique to make people question their own reality. This is not an accident, people joked. But that's that's the little shit our media does. That is the little shit. They don't even check the date. I mean, this is it goes right in line with the fucking kids in cages. That company knew what it was printing, but they did it on purpose. Because they knew the rest of the media would grab that shit and run with it. Like a fucking bone in the yard. I mean, they were all down with that crap. Now, because not looking too good, they don't even like their own debates, which we're going to get on to in a bit. With their impeachment house of cards crumbling, because she sent it to the Senate, Nancy Pelosi has evidently decided to see if the whole Russia election interference thing can help restore her lost credibility. Nancy Pelosi. America... Elections should be decided by American people, not by the Russian government. Retweet if you agree. Somebody tweeted her back. Stirring fears of rigged election is unfounded and dangerous. Our democracy lies on each side. Accept the results, win or lose. The big picture of her talking, win or lose, each side must accept the results. 
Hmm. We've yet to do that post-2016. Then Hillary came on in. Russia appears to be rerunning their 2016 hacking playbook once again to benefit Donald Trump. Will the media play along again? Will the GOP open the door again? Will the Russians help pick our POTUS again? The New York Times. The hacking attempts against Bursmina and Ukrainian gas company on whose board Hunter Biden serves begin in early November as talking of the Biden's Ukrainian impeachment was dominating the news. It is not yet clear, but the hackers found precisely what they were looking for. But the experts say the timing and scale of attacks... Russia, 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 Russia. So the world decided to respond to Hillary because we've done multiple things about the West Coast and the East Coast, handing out illegals fucking driver's license and then forwarding that anybody with a driver's license can vote. That's the next bill they're going to pass. So don't let put do it again, Madam President. Demand voter ID. No Russian voting in 2020. You still lost, somebody said, and Putin was in your pocketbook. If you and your fellow NWO leftists were really concerned about foreign election interference, you would get on board with a national voter ID. That's how you fix it. And then with our riot section, we'll see what they really do to people in foreign countries. Maggie Haberman went out and just got dogged. Let reporters roam free, says the president, who routinely refers the U.S. press as enemy of the people to Iranian leaders. This was her tweet. I don't know what her inference was. I mean, there have been 1,500 people killed and 7,000 people arrested in Iran. Stephen Miller, Trump tweets mean things, and this is exactly like Iranian putting journalists in prison and torturing them. Ian Michael Chan, how many reporters has Trump imprisoned? Rita Panah, what sort of self-delighted nincompoop compares the president's mean tweets with journalists in Iran being jailed, tortured, and sometimes killed? Your putrid reporting on Iran shows why so many in the media are held in contempt. It didn't start with Trump's tweets. Maggie Haberman, another moral challenge New York Times employee. Molly Hemingway, New York Times reporters suggest American press by being criticized for poor reporting and other failures, suffers similarly to journalists in Iran who are imprisoned, tortured, and murdered for the reporting. All this while American media downplays or ignores Iran's lies. Totally, totally fucking true. It looks like criticism fell on deaf ears, however. Monday morning, she tweeted this ridiculous assessment of the 2016 election. The president was elected in 2016 in part by stoking fears about Muslims and terrorism. Well, last time I checked, we still got Muslims blowing shit up, Maggie. So that, that's your New York fucking times. Then we got Seltzer losing his shit. Seltzer raises his hateful speech and White House reply to CMN, CNN demands for more briefings again. Let's listen to that. Why now, when you look at where we are in the foreign policy of this country, particularly vis-a-vis Iran, it doesn't appear that the policy decision-making process was, in fact, very robust. And it, and it needs to be challenged because this, the tensions with Iran aren't getting any lower right now. And I think we need to, I think American, the American people have a right to know that, that the kind of decisions that, the, that, their, that their elected leaders uh, are making have been informed by context and deeper understanding. And we're not getting any of that because there's no daily briefing, no way to ask a spokesperson every single day how mm. these decisions are being processed. The White House responded to your letter by saying these were just a bunch of D.C. establishment swamp creatures. How offended were you by that hateful speech? 
No, I wasn't. I mean, I, I was a pretty but sophomoric response. It's irresponsible. Irrespons- I mean, Hogan knows better than to say that kind of crap. I, it was it was sophomoric, and I mean, I I got a thick skin. Believe me, you can't be uh, at two podiums like I was without a a, a thick skin. That's but true. But I do think I do think it was important for us to to lay this marker down. Look, they talk about how accessible the president is, Brian. But there's yeah, a difference yeah. it's not between not an either or though. That's the thing. The president should be accessible, and it, there should be briefings. All and, and, the above. <laughs> and the briefings give you accountability. It's not just about access, mm. it's accountability, and that's what... What's this accountability thinging we speak of? There was no pushback. There was no reading fucking poems off the base of the na- fucking uh, Statue of Liberty under Obama. There was... What is the greatest thing about you, Mr. President? I want you to know it's an honor to even be able to be in the same room with you, Mr. President. While all this is, I mean, just little things stick out in my head. 12 shot, 5 killed in Democrat-controlled Baltimore. Nothing. Just like Chicago. Nothing. It's never covered. Because they obsess. And they're hateful things, the Trump. But don't you think of the repetitive, some of these moon bats, and we talk about it for Fox, that these crazies sit and watch Fox News and... You know, we really need to worry about all this hate they're putting out on Fox News because people are unstable and they can go out and do stuff. And yet I play at least 30, 40 minutes a show, people talking about Trump voters, about Trump, about the GOP, about this, about that. And it's all their fucking horrible people. And you got Mr. fucking, we need to do re-education camps. And shouldn't we be worried about this? Because it's on repeat on CNN. TV news. Three-fourth impeachment and 93% negative. During the impeachment, the network kept up the same relentless negativity towards the president. Trump that they first displayed for the 2016 presidential campaign. September 24th through January 1st, we tallied 1,053 evaluative comments to the president's 93% were negative. If you can't wait, 700 words, scroll down to find out how TV news spun their coverage of 2020 Democrats. I don't want you to see it. It's not negative. It's pretty clear by now that reporters aren't going to reward the president with much good press, even for obvious achievements such as strong economy or the victory over ISIS, Syria, including one of the elusive leaders, Abaku or Baghdadi. But the impeachment has increased the sheer amount of negative coverage as well as meant even less airtime for administration policy achievements. Which, remember in Obama, we did pre-stuff. We're going to do school. They had seminars on school and MSNBC and NBC and CNN brought on experts about how great and ACA was, oh my God, just story after story of pre-existing conditions and I'll die, and we need this. You don't see any of that. We talked about the wall. We did a TV show that lasted like three days, and they got killed. And they showed how people hide in the top hood scoops of trucks, and how bad that is for them to illegally enter our country. And viewers like me and my wife are like, Why? fuck that piece of shit. He's illegally coming. Why don't they just go and get a fucking asylum or come and get a fucking visa and be like normal people? He chose to get underneath the fucking truck. But they break it down minute by minute. It's just insane. It was just like impeachment Ukraine, 849 minutes. Withdrawing troops from Syria, 126. Fight with ISIS, 78. Dealing with North Korea, 19. Immigration, 17. Trade and economy, 9 minutes. That's 
the daytime. When they add it all up, Nets donate massive free airtime for Democrat impeachment. ABC, 40 hours, 24 minutes. CBS, 39 hours, 24 minutes. NBC, 44 hours and 32 minutes. That is 124 hours and 20 minutes of negative coverage. And they're upside down on the impeachment. What does that say? That's an amazing statistic. We're not even talking CNN and MSDNC. That was 24 hours a day, negative. You pumped out 124 hours of he needs to go away, and the American people are like, yeah, no. Yeah. It's Then they show impeachment leaves 2020 Democrats star for attention. Uh... Biden got the most, which, once again, proves what I'm saying. That's the one they believe can happen. 107 minutes. Bloomberg, 30. Warren, 24. Sanders, 24. Butt gag, 8. And Klobuchar got 5 minutes. That's it. They don't have time for it. And that's probably including them talking about impeachment. Here's some examples of just crazy shit that just get through and nobody says anything about them. Or they, in this case, support them. Elizabeth Warren, understand this. Department of Education has broad authority to end the student loan debt crisis. When I'm president, I plan to use that authority. A lot of Democratic presidential candidates are or were power tripping, but the Washington Post Dave Weigel says that President Trump opened the door to executive overreach and Joe Biden would be the one to shut it. Biden, who was vice president to Barack Executive Action for Obama, David Weigel. One less discussed difference between Warren Sanders and Biden is that they'd walk right through the door. Trump opened for executive power use. Biden is inclined to close the door. These are responses. Dave. You're doing your absolute best to memory hole Obama bragging about governing with a pen and a phone. Another one. You have to sense all Trump's worst abuses or undoing Obama's abuses. Another one. Really strange to see them all try to ignore the first black president's legacy. Feels racist. Another. Hey, Dave. Wouldn't a pen and a phone circumvent any locked door? But when they weren't bashing Trump, they were promoting Biden, and they were doing fond send-offs for a fucking failed candidate for president. I want you to think about any time ABC, CBS, or NBC brought out any Republican who ran for president in 2016 and got the boot. Not talking CNN, MSDNC. They brought back Republicans to talk bad about Trump. That doesn't count. Talking, you're awesome. We wanted you to be president. We're so sad it didn't happen. And here's CNN and CBS bringing back Cory Booker. Despite polling at an average of 1.2% in the polls, CBS This Morning on Tuesday treated Cory Booker's departure from the 2020 Democratic field as a major event, devoting almost eight minutes to the news. Perhaps this might have something to do with the fact that co-host Gail King has been a supporter of the Democrat in the past.
She even admitted this at the start of the show's long interview, saying, Full disclosure, we've been friends for a very long time. I can't pretend like I don't know you. Booker joked, which means you cannot use any of the information that could destroy my career. Of course, there's no danger of that as King and the other co-hosts offered softball after softball. King sympathized, but I think a lot of your supporters, Corey, thought you would at least hold out and wait until Iowa. What was it that you saw, that you felt, that you realized that now is the time? Again, Booker polled at 1, 2 and 0 in the last three national polls. In Iowa, he averaged 3%. Despite this, Anthony Mason wondered, would you consider a candidacy as a vice president for the vice presidency? Have you had any conversations to that effect? He also asked, would you run again in 2024? Regarding the fight erupting between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, King described the Democratic battle in personal terms, what do you make of the controversy between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren at this particular time when we're trying to be more united? At a time when we're trying to be more united? Booker has appeared on the show in the past and King didn't disclose her friendship and support for Booker. Here they are at the 2012 New York premiere of Friends with Benefits. Screenshot taken from YouTube. The Free Beacon's David Rutz noted that in 2012, then-CBS host Charlie Rose not yet disgraced for sexual misconduct quizzed Booker about his close relationship with King. King blurted, It's not hooking up, Charlie. No boinking has occurred. Regardless of the details of the relationship, King has a long history of supporting Democrats. According to Open Secrets, she's donated to Barack Obama, the DNC, and Harold Ford Jr. While at CBS, she donated to Obama and attended his birthday party. Most recently, she vacationed with the Obamas. A partial transcript of the segment's questions are below. Click expand to read more. But what do you make of the the controversy now between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren at this particular time when we're trying to be more united? If, if anybody wants, I, I, I know these folks. Yeah. Uh, nobody should be attacking their character. But of course, resources were the key question here for Booker. He only raised six point six million in the last quarter of twenty nineteen, which was his best quarter of the campaign, but far behind the leaders in this race. And of course, he never had a breakout moment from the time he launched his campaign nearly a year ago, February first in Newark. He had a consistent message of love, of community, of mending the moral fabric of America, but it wasn't something that voters ever responded to. And so, Kate, we see the result of that today. Booker ending his campaign before voters cast their ballots in Iowa, New Hampshire, and those other early states. I want you to think about any time ABC, NBC, or CBS said anything positive about Mitch McConnell, Boehner. This is Casey Hunt. Pelosi has repeatedly seemed to demonstrate an intuitive grasp of what will make President Trump angry. Somebody said he's got skin like wet toilet paper. Why is this a thing? But that's our media. They support any far-right things. They hate any Republican. It doesn't matter who that Republican is. They hate them. And then we go to debates, and this, this, <laughs> this is one of the greatest sound bites I've ever played on the show. You're going to hear the beginning of the debate. We are awesome. 
What a spunky bunch of candidates. Oh, Biden is fucking chicken soup for the soul. And then it's, what the fuck? Why don't we talk more about impeachment and Iran and bashing Trump? And Okay, this wasn't good because we didn't bash Trump. It's like they just talk, 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 and then it just comes out. No, unless that whole thing is fucking a complete bash of Trump, it is not a good fucking debate. David Pluff, um, a, a, a really broad question. How is this party going to beat Donald Trump, in your view? Well, it's going to be really hard. One of the things that I have a great fear of is I think people see his approval ratings and they assume that he's going to be easy to beat. He's not. He didn't run a great campaign in 16. He's going to run a great campaign this time. Uh, one of the Facebook's executives uh, recently said that Donald Trump and his campaign are the best marketers in the world. Not the best political marketers, the best marketers in the world. And Donald Trump is going to find and register and turn out every conceivable human being that looks like his base voter in the battleground states. So the raw vote number, Trump has shown no interest in growing out his base, you know, suburban women, for instance. He's going to grow it through registration and turnout. So we need a candidate who can do a few things. This was a pretty um, congenial debate, I thought, in, in many ways. I mean, there, there, weren't, there weren't a lot of fireworks, um, really. There wasn't a lot of friction. I saw there was a very interesting political sort of epiphany there about Elizabeth Warren. And I think bringing this out into the open, the issue of whether a woman can be elected president is going to help her campaign. And whether she started it or not, she definitely brilliantly exploited it tonight. And then Bernie clinched. I thought it was very interesting. He did not want to fight it anymore, but she won. This is going to help. It's just a brilliant move to take a, a, a question and make it into a positive. And I think she did on the gender issue tonight. I want this race to get tougher because so? this race has been gentle. And whoever comes out the other side is running against Donald Trump, okay, who's one of the toughest political pugilists we've ever seen. Okay, and so I have no problem now. It'd be nice if they could shake hands. I understand why Senator Warren was upset, but like this, I want to see them being tested and pushed, and how they deal under pressure. The scoring for the Iowa caucus will change. This will, this will be. There'll be a huge asterisk on it, and it'll say right. these three. They, they couldn't be there. I don't think the debate changed a lot of minds. Yeah. It was a pretty good night for Elizabeth Warren. I thought she, you know. It, 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 she was missing the mojo that she had had earlier uh, in in, um, in 2019 in the summer, where she seemed kind of unstoppable, and then all of a sudden she was stopped and she started sliding back down. And I thought we sort of sort of saw the old Warren uh, tonight. I thought I thought she was very sharp, um, uh, and um, there was just a liveliness in her. I, I have I have a different view. Okay. My view of the United States Senate is whatever Mitch McConnell wants, Mitch McConnell gets. He doesn't want witnesses. He thinks this thing needs to be shut down very quickly. And, you know, these moderates, they always talk a good game. You know, Susan Collins is always about to do something that she never actually does. And uh, I just don't think they're going to be they're going to be any witnesses. Uh, they they it, how how it actually plays out. Um, I, I don't know. I suspect one way 
it may play out is that the Republicans put in a poison pill. Like they say, the only reason we'll have witnesses is if Hunter Biden is also or a witness. Biden. Or Joe Biden, which will sort of blow up the whole thing. But I, I just don't think Mitch McConnell wants yeah. witnesses. But there might be some cost. There might be some cost. The, the other thing to remember about witnesses is all the witnesses will show that the president is guilty. Because he is guilty. Well, we don't know what Bolton would say. Well, I mean, what could he say that would be not incriminating? I mean, you know, why would he call the interactions with Giuliani a drug deal if he thought this was a wonderful, a wonderful uh, negotiation? He could give inappropriately a legal opinion, and he could say, "Look, I thought it was a drug deal. I thought it was terrible stuff. I thought he shouldn't have said those things. I thought it was not wise." But but a nice drug deal. But it's not right. But it's not criminal. It's not impeachable. That's the best he could do. He could, yeah. The white. All right, now, why play Biden's? He's the front runner most of the time, not in Iowa right now, but overwhelmingly when you look at the polls most often. And they say this is his best moment. Yeah. Does that win? Well, it's potentially because this is why Joe Biden has been steadily at the top. Nationally, I mean, it's gone, you know, there are other people have gone in and out, but he's been there. And a top Democrat said to me recently that Joe Biden has the chicken soup appeal that he has what's going to make everybody who feels sick feel better. And that was the chicken soup speech right there at the end there. And that is really what he is banking on. And when if he can do that and people really listen to that and take that in, that's what he's going for. And if electability, beating Donald Trump and feeling better about the country is what these Democrats say they want, that's it. And uh One of the biggest surprises about the Biden candidacy in the political class is his resiliency throughout this entire process. This is why. You said you grew up in politics. You understand this uh, better than most, Chris. But uh, the most successful candidates are the ones that are closing their campaign with the same message that they opened it with consistently through. He just delivered a closing statement on the eve of the vote that eight months ago he launched his campaign with. And it has been consistent all the way through, which I think is why he's proven to be as resilient as he is in this campaign, because it gets to that key core fundamental desire among Democrats, having some assurance that the person they choose really does have the best shot at defeating Donald Trump. Very interesting. At the end of the day, for all the different metrics, Anderson, that's the only one that matters. Which man or woman gives this party the best chance of getting out this president whom they all describe as an existential? You know, I'm a little surprised. I thought it would be a much more aggressive debate tonight. I mean, this is the last shot you got till the Iowa caucus in three weeks. The four front runners, nobody went after each other. I was really surprised at that. You know, Joe Biden has been leading this race since he got into it. Nobody touched him tonight. Nobody went after him. I mean, it was just shocking to me that this is your last shot to make an impression before you go in it. You know, I thought Pete was strong tonight. I thought he had a very good debate. I was very impressed with Tom Sire. You know, I think there was something for everybody here tonight. But what you walk away with, does this change the dynamic of the caucus in three weeks? No. Absolutely not. not. We're listening to you all here, Anderson. It's so interesting uh, to get all of these different perspectives on what happened. I think the consensus, though, is that this uh, was not the type of night of ambition we expected. So then the big question becomes, well, why? You have two possibilities. Uh, one is the adage in politics, scared money never wins, uh, which is that you hold your fire, everybody up there is popular, and you don't want to hurt yourself this close before the caucuses. Okay. But the second perspective is um, 
you have to go for it at a certain point to distinguish yourself from your competitors and remember what every Democrat is looking for and why you see this bottleneck up at the top and people moving back and forth, three, four people within the margin of error. Who is the right one to beat Trump? That speaks to a big ambition, to a boldness, someone who can take on arguably the most fierce campaigner we've seen in a generation. So the question becomes, why did they play it this way? During this evening, during the run-up to the debate, and indeed during the debate broadcast, the impeachment case has worsened for Donald Trump. And it is giving us a window into a rather astounding operation supervised by Rudy Giuliani. What do you think went into the decision, either by the journalists, the moderators, the network, or even the campaign chiefs, who, by the way, had time to brief their candidates before the telecast went on the air tonight, if nothing else, to use this as a reference point, uh, maybe even a dodge to say this material is coming out this evening while we speak and time is of the essence. You shared my surprise that none of this was raised by either side in the debate tonight. It appears we have a wheelbarrow of evidence. This is pretty big stuff to be ignored on the debate stage. I was surprised that someone didn't pivot and grasp the moment, because when you're president, that's what you have to do. Again, if you're just joining us, uh, this did not come up tonight, did not get uh, raised on the debate stage tonight. Hey, Chris Matthews, tell me uh, the Wi-Fi service didn't give out across Des Moines tonight. Tell me you were contemporaneously aware of this breaking story. Anytime you're voraciously consuming news on your phone during a live debate in a party involved in impeachment, that news not mentioned from either side in that debate might be a problem, correct? But it does seem like a possible Biden moment missed. If there was one candidate up there who might want to show, I'm going to protect U.S. ambassadors, could have been a big moment. I didn't mean to interrupt. Let's be clear and not assign blame. This was also a production of two news organizations that supplied three moderators that made a conscious choice not to raise the topic during the course of this live broadcast. But to Claire's point, you're not running for dog catcher or park superintendent. You're running for president. Amy, I, I am completely confused as to why it turned from Bernie Sanders saying I didn't say it to Elizabeth Warren being asked, what did you think when he said it? He says he didn't say it. So you, you turn to Elizabeth Warren and say, did he say it? That's the issue. That was bizarre. I mean, it's bizarre. It was. What the heck happened there? Are, are, are they listening? Because you've got to listen when you do a debate. Yeah. And then take the question to the next candidate. You just missed. It was uh, a miss. Yeah. Just, you were waiting but, to go. But this is the story. It was a miss. Yeah. It was a dull debate. It was a plotting yeah. debate. By, 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 the way, debate. Hey, by the way, John, they, they, I mean, nobody looked good on that debate stage. I like to say right, what so everybody's saying. Behind the scenes, I mean, that who I've talked to, nobody looked good on the debate stage last night. It was a, right. It was dull, probably dull, everybody's dull. weakest performance. It was a dull and plotting debate. Um, you had 39 minutes at the top of the debate about foreign policy and trade um, and not really even any pointed questions about Iran. It was really kind of like, why are you the best person to be commander in chief? I, you know, I, I, I really was sort of stunned by how airless and, and lifeless the debate was. The whole thing should send a chill uh, up 
Democrats fine. Say it's fine because this is these people are still not ready for prime. You never hear that about Republican debates. And right off, the people caught some interesting things. Tuesday night debate is going to be a long two-hour slog, but it kicked off a Wolf Blitzer announcing that America is on the brink of war and asking what each candidate would bring to the position as commander-in-chief. The question turned into a slap fight between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders relitigating the Iraq war, but it took only one minute for Biden to pull the Obama card, Tim Carney. It's okay, I was wrong on the Iraq war because I was Obama's VP, is literally Biden's answer. Biden says the Iraq war was a mistake, but his record makes up for it and that Obama still picked him. It's 8.03 and Joe Biden has already invoked Barack Obama's name. Jesus H. Christ is going to be a long night. But for Dems, especially media Dems, that's all you need. He touched the sleeve of greatness. Then he's got to be great. I mean, that's just how they run it. The Democratic debate on CNN was fairly run-of-the-mill as far as progressive shouting, tired, talking points goes. As a matter of fact, the most interesting part of the evening actually might have been Michael Bloomberg's tweet feed during their candidate, who wasn't even participating in the debate, into a meatball. However, there was a little bit of a debate intrigue, and it involves Sanders and Warren. Blaze TV. Sanders, you're saying that you never told Warren that a woman could not win the election? Sanders, that is correct. Senator Warren, what did you think that Senator Sanders told you a woman could not win the election? Warren, I disagreed. The detention of Warren and Sanders ended up making the post-debate handshake awkward. Carlos Maza, CNN is not a news organization. It's an entertainment network, profits off turning democracy into reality TV. Democrats should be blacklisting the networks, not participating in circus acts. At least Fox News is up front and using Republican talking points. CNN mixes GOP framing with essentialist horse race bullshit and tries to convince Democrat voters to care about it. All in the name of profiting off a spectacle, Democrats should boycott this shit. That was in this little thread, and I thought, wow, that's a fucking gay guy, because his name is Gay Wonk, a journalist. And then everybody else got back to the subject. Elizabeth Warren refuses to shake Bernie's hand. And that's what happened. That That's what happened. They wouldn't even shake hands. Because they're the same people. You didn't build that. We're socialists. And I am better than you. So those two are fighting each other. The media is pushing Biden as the only person you should vote for because he touched Obama's sleeve. And that's what the Democrats are putting up against Trump. Now, I'm not saying Trump can't lose. I'm I'm saying he's probably going to lose because it's been four years. And I think a lot of people are going to go in that booth and just go, you know, fuck it. I, I don't want any more of this. We vote one of those fucking Democrats. At least the media will shut the fuck up. And I can get to the weather without climate change and everything. That's stupid because that's never changing. In fact, if you vote for a Democrat, it's just going to get more, more, and more. I mean, last night I watched 68 Whiskey. First and foremost, I was going to say this from Military Corner. I don't know who the advisor was on this, but it's not a military person because it's really, really bad. Um, salutes were okay, but that's about it. It has about as much to being a medic as, you know, <clears throat> Grace Anatomy. 
But they went into climate change in this. And DACA. Right off the bat, somebody's going to get it fucking uh, deported under DACA. It's always going to be there, folks. And so is this Iran thing. It won't go away. Here's Whoopi telling Schiff, Ukrainian passer plane, would still be alive if not for Trump. Joy Reid imagines Trump hit salami to fucking please Bolton. CNN with the same thing. They did it to please Bolton. The missile attacks that Iran took as a result of that strike could have killed dozens of our service members. Uh, and thank God that didn't happen. But the risk, I think, to our personnel has gone up, not down. Uh, and I don't think it was justified uh, by the intelligence, at least not the intelligence that I've seen. Okay, right. And the Ukrainians, that Ukrainian plane would still be alive. That's the, folks people, on on, the plane, people on, on that, that plane, plane would still be alive today. And he thinks he's done this amazing strike and that, uh, you yeah. know, that he knows, he knows best. But I, again, that airplane full of people, I think, would uh, <laughs> contradict that. The, when Donald Trump started these hostilities, really out of the blue, my first thought was John Bolton um, being somebody that he, he, he thought he would please by doing this. John Bolton is somebody who could testify against him in an impeachment trial. But would it surprise you if the reason why Donald Trump took this action in Iran was because he knew it would please Republican senators who want to go to war with Iran that are going to vote on impeachment, and he knew it would please people like John Bolton who could testify against him? Joe, it just gets worse. It just gets worse. Every week, there is more evidence that comes out about this shadow diplomacy or whatever operation Rudy Giuliani was doing over in Ukraine. And this is particularly disturbing, these text messages that Kara Skinnell just laid out. Let me just read some because no wonder Marie Yovanovitch didn't feel safe. When she testified that she uh, people were making threats, she started to feel unsafe, and when somebody told her, get on a plane now, she didn't really ask questions. She got on a plane right then because she was so... I guess, concerned about her safety. Uh, it's unconscionable that Mike Pompeo allowed all this to go on. You have to believe that at some point he was uh, read into all of this stuff, and he allowed. If you can, I'm not saying that I know what these uh, uh, texts mean. You can read it one of two ways, which is they're watching, or they're planning to do harm. And after Mike Pompeo, you know, from the mountaintop, screamed about Benghazi and protecting our diplomats, it's possible possible that he was allowing an, uh, a Benghazi in Ukraine and knew about it and perpetrated by Americans. Now, released this week, understand, Trump was going to do this for seven months. And let's completely ignore the fact that he was a brutal terrorist, killed all these people. Now, we have to do conspiracy theories. Which, once again, when Trump people used to do that, oh, look at these conspiracy theorists. I, I could count I need a calculator to count all the conspiracy theories that Dems have pushed out. I mean, we got our, we got Russia, Russia again. Which I had a soundbite. CNN did it. I didn't play it because of the extra nine minutes. But they, they rolled out Russia again. Russia, Russia, Russia. Russia, Russia, Russia. Russia, 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 Russia. I mean, we're going to go back to that. How many conspiracy theories do they have? And then while it's all going, I'm going to play a soundbite up front. 
This is about all I could find on the protests that happened in Iran. I found this woman's tweet account. She doesn't tweet a lot. And I let her have it. Because as a vet, I am just disgusted with the way she feels about the Iranian government. A week ago, this was a country with masses of people shouting down the United States. But this morning in Iran, the anger is aimed at their own leaders. In the aftermath of Soleimani's death, Iranians were united, angrily protesting against the United States drone strike on Soleimani. Now Iran's unity shattered. Iranian protesters ripping down posters of Soleimani, the slain military leader, and some protesters refusing to trample the image of an American flag. Oh, it shattered their unity. They wouldn't step on American flag. Conservatives pushed it as American students and liberals care less about the flag than Iranian protesters. Hong Kong. The whole world loves that flag, except for liberals. Iran opens fires on demonstrators. Protesters chant, our enemies right here. They lie to us that it's America. You didn't hear hours of this on TV. They didn't want to cover the fact that, hey, this is bad. And Iran shot down a civilian airliner, and that's fucking horrible. Our media, it's Trump's fault. Iranians, look at our government. They're fuckheads, you fucking idiots. Iranian government opened fire live ammunition against demonstrators and protesting the shooting down of the plane. IRGC, which is designated terrorist organization, shot down the plane, blah, blah, blah. First three days of the crash, Iran denied. Growing into international acquisition, accusations that it shot the plane down, looked up, engaged in a cover-up. The Iranian, uh, Iranian authorities insisted the jetliner got down for mechanical reasons, refused to cooperate with investigators. They also began to remove some evidence from the scene. Massive protests erupted across Iran over the weekend. At least a dozen cities in Iran responded by firing tear gas, rubber bullets, and eventually live ammunition to disperse demonstrators. The Times later noted that multiple people had been shot, then other protesters were beaten. This was not front page. Lisa Devarki. Warning, graphic video, regime forces shoot at female protesters in Tehran. Man who sent me this video was crying so hysterically he could not speak. Tehran, security forces violently beat up grieving man protesting the downplaying. Truly remarkable, just two months ago, regime killed over 1,500 people. This is Navid, uh, Navid Fa. Killed over 1,500 people on streets. Despite this, people return on streets with even more fierce chants against the entire ruling system while emphasizing repeatedly in the slogan, the enemy's right here. They lie to us and say it's the U.S. This is all on the 12th of January. Ali Hamadi. At the height of the Iranian establishment and anti-Americanism, Tehran Bahisti University students refused to walk over the U.S. and Israeli flags while participating in Iran protests. They all grew up to hate the two countries, but seemed like the revolutionary ideology has failed. Watch how Iranian students refuse to step on American and Israel flag. This should embarrass Iranian regime and the propaganda funeral for Salami, where people were told to chant death to America. Now people in Iran chanting death to Islamic Republic dictatorship. Helen Nawar, Salami was a murderer. His leader is also a murderer. Salami was a murderer. His leader is also a murderer. Salami was a murderer. His leader is also a murderer. Salami was a murderer. His leader is also a murderer. Somebody wrote this down. Sorry. Bravest people in the world. New videos of Iran show banners of Soleimani and Khomeini getting 
trashed. This is what it sounded like. But I thought we were told that he's a leader and people loved him. And those were genuine mourners. ABC went so far, all right? Just last week, ABC ran a report telling viewers the United States military was wrong to say Iran wanted to kill U.S. troops. Then we have NBC Nightly News actually covered this. And tonight we're getting an up-close look at just how close a call it was for American soldiers. Our cameras today with the first look at damage from inside the Iraqi base, including what appeared to be a direct hit on sleeping quarters used by American troops. After noting the anti-regime protests in Iran, Chief 4 Correspondent Engel walked through the bombed-out wreckage where U.S. troops were living and working. This is one of the main housing units for part of the base, but it's so badly burned and damaged, it's hard to tell what it even was, Engel said. You only know people were living here because there's a burnt-out bed, somebody's bicycle. Had soldiers still been inside... They would have died. Yeah. But we were told that they had more restraint. That's what we were told. They had more restraint than us. Here's another soundbite. Schumer, Trump's lying about Iran threat. CNN host lines up insults for Trump tweeting Iran dissenter in Farsi. The guy in the Duty White Beckham. House retweeted a doctored photo uh, yeah. image showing you and Speaker Pelosi in front of an Iranian flag dressed in traditional Middle Eastern style clothing with the caption, the corrupted Dems trying their best to come to the Ayatollah's rescue. Now, why he would Idiot. make it about the clothing... Or any of this. I mean, is this, what is, what is the point of this? Is this just him being dumb? There's a lot of folks who wear the Habibs and a lot of folks who wear the headpieces and there's nothing wrong with it. And this idea of showing it like there's something wrong with people wearing it is not, it's not 
There is nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I just want to clear well, that up. Yeah. You bet. And, you know, the, he, he seems to like to appeal to bigotry and divisiveness mm -hmm. instead of yes. smart policy bringing us together, keeping us safe. Well, the president himself told the American people that there were attacks against four people, uh, four embassies, planned attacks against yeah. four embassies. Can you confirm that? Did you yeah, hear that? Yeah, I can that? tell you this, that even the Secretary of Defense walked that back. Right. I have never heard anything to that effect. So is he None. lying to the American people? This president plays <laughs> so fast and loose with the truth, not only on that issue. The other day, he just said he's defending, protecting our health care, our pre-existing oh, conditions. Yeah. He's doing everything to undermine it. And the families of America need good health care. Is I there any? Can Congress do anything? I think that's a really good point, Brianna. Uh, I think there should be, uh, because uh, it shows a complete lack of respect for the legislative branch. It shows a lack of respect for the constitutional separations of powers and respect for the constitutional provision in Article One that clearly makes the Congress preeminent in making decisions about war and peace. Um, and uh, the fact that you'd be willing to go before the entire U.S. House, the entire U.S. Congress, and make it up and put us at risk perhaps for years in terms of uh, tit-for-tat, in terms of retaliation and revenge, in terms of more terrorism, uh, that's a very consequential thing. Uh, that really has to be looked at very carefully. The, the president has tweeted, uh, he tweeted out his support for the protesters in Iran, first in English and then in Farsi. I know you've addressed this, that you've you essentially said it's a bit much for the president to be lecturing others about press freedoms, considering how he treats the press here in the U.S. But you did acknowledge there are real forces in Iran that want reform and, and basically that those forces should be spoken to, right, should be engaged by the U.S. Um, the Iranian foreign minister, though, said the spoke, foreign minister spokesman said the president is dishonoring the Persian language. Do you think he was? No, um, although it, it, it may be too cute by half to be using Farsi. Um, I will point Why out. Why is that? Uh, well, you know, you're the American president. Clearly, you don't speak Farsi. Uh, you know, your tweets are heavily laden with sarcasm and uh, in some cases bordering on the racist, uh, if not crossing that border uh, for political opponents, for the press, for anybody who's his target, um, he might be better wa off simply sticking to England. It's like when they put out these stories and they hype it up to be anti-Trump and the truth's not found, they can't back off. They don't know how to back off. They will just spin it. But remember, we have a problem with misinformation. We have an ecocosm. Farnaz Fasihi. And I'm going to say something I've never said. This Iranian person has more honor and intellectual honesty than any of our fucking media. Iran State TV anchor resigned saying, It was very hard for me to believe the killing of my countrymen. I apologize for lying to you on TV for 13 years. Another Iranian, Kavez Sharuz. 
A thread on how the Iran lobby and their useful idiot friends on the regressive left have tried to frame the PS572 story from day one to minimize damage to the Iranian regime. Step one, start early and cast doubt on any initial porting that portrays the Iran regime in a bad light. Here are just some of the tweets. I mean, this guy went through the internet and found all these people that are far lefties. When rumors first started yesterday about this from Iranian opposition in California with photos that couldn't be geolocated, Reuter said Western Intel said no signs of Iran shooting down plan. This is all extremely suspect. It's a different person. As soon as I started tweeting about the Ukrainian plane crash, I started getting bombarded from suspect right-wing accounts. None of them followers, all pushing a pro-war message. Another one. We need to allow a full and proper impartial investigation. There are clearly issues with the 737-800 NG-class plane. Next, step one is so extensive that a sample screenshot doesn't fit in one tweet. Here are other people. Boeing shares are up after questionable U.S. intel pens Ukrainian airline tragedy on Iran. Wonder if this was an opportunity to save Boeing's tumbling stock. Ben Norton. Yesterday, Reuters New York Times reported that Western intelligence of the Ukrainian airliner in Iran was not brought down. A. Talabati. Please read this thread of your participating in the madness that has unfolded regarding the Ukrainian airplane. In the meantime, I feel terribly sorry for all those who have lost their loved ones. And all that matters in and outside Iran is this ongoing blame game. Hushah Shabizi is a veteran Iranian pilot. He rose to national fame and here status after conducting an emergency landing with no casualties back in 2011. He tells the IRGC linked Tanam News Agency. He goes again, Sharu says again, but wait, there's more. This could have anything, a malfunction, an accident, intentional downing. The U.S. has done it to Iranian airliner before, and I tried to look to sound bites for that. I couldn't find any, but we did under Clinton. Another one, reminder on top is economic warfare. Trump is waging all-out psychological warfare. It's psychological to tell the truth. Nora Lorento, American journalist yesterday, we can't draw conclusions yet about what brought the Ukrainian flight down. American journalist today, it was definitely an Iranian missile, says our American sources. So then he goes to step two. When video evidence emerged off a wild explanations that basically amounts to, you're going to believe us or your lying eyes. First one, I can confirm the video of Ukrainian plane crashes being used by the New York Times and blah, blah, blah. It is edited. It is jump cut at 15 to 17 seconds. Sarah SG, unbelievable, coordinated disinformation campaign based on unverified able photo and video on social media and anti-Iran activists. Tardot would not give any details or evidence of the intelligence. Almost all, this is a different person, BC Persian Journal has been repeating the Iranian plane crashes Islamic Republic Chernobyl before any investigation while Iran has opened the door to all experts from Canada. Max Blumenthal, no results yet from an international investigation that could confirm or undermine the official story, but from now, all we have is a verified video, in quotes, from the U.S. government-backed liberal interventionist outfit and widely misled the public on DOMA to justify U.S. missile strikes on Syria. Then he goes to step three. Talk about completely irrelevant issues, travel ban, sanctions, just so people are distracted from the evidence to start and stare them in the face that your beloved regime shot a plane down. Nora Lorento, who's on all of these. All routed through Kiviv because of Trump's Muslim ban. 
Beijing Amidi. In recent years, some of the major airlines have stopped their flights to Iran due to sanctions. Another one. Left Iran due to sanctions, Iranian authorities should have never let an airplane go into the air. Step four. When the regime itself finally admits to having committed the crime, blame Trump for the creating the conditions of war. Ben Rhodes. War almost has unintended consequences, and most often they are bad and suffered by innocent. Samez Tajida. I hope that the international community de-escalates the situation and move towards sustaining peace. Too many beautiful souls have been lost. This is the cost of war. Human life, be the accident or not, tragic. The biggest question for me is, why was a plane allowed to fly? Donald Trump, as well as Iranian civil aviation authorities, bear the blame. His next tweet, if anyone points out that they're, you're a shill for dictatorship, that the Iranian regime criminal role was predictable... From the beginning, try to discredit them by doing a victory lap. Arej Karami. Can't believe there are people doing a victory lap and giving acceptance speeches for getting it right on the Ukrainian plane crash. Twitter is a theater of the absurd. His final tweet. And that's how the Iran lobby operates. Once you understand these steps, you'll see them applied in all sorts of context. See, this is why I freak out about Chuck Todd. This is why I lose my mind over Chuck Todd. Folks, we've had a misinformation echo chamber, always for the left. The left and the media and the left will take our enemies' talking points and push it for them, and they went down this whole rabbit hole. These are hardcore Islamists, and they followed them, saying every step on this way, it's been done on Russia It's been done on the first thing that happened to Trump. Well, he had to steal the election. That would be voter fraud. Then it was Russia. Then it was the Africa ambushes. This is a Benghazi. Then this is a Benghazi. Then that's a Benghazi. Then when that didn't work, we went to a phone call. And then we impeached him on bullshit. I mean, just the smoking gun and impeachment 200 times. That was all misinformation. It never stopped. It was a plan. Don't think this is not a plan. I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat. I'm in my bunker, but I'm not wearing a hat. They do this on purpose to discredit. The most important thing they could do was to discredit his presidency. It's what they did to George W. Discredit it. Put asterisks on it. So they can win the next election. That's that's what they want to do. AG conservative. I hadn't seen this before. It's probably the best and most direct explanation of why the Iran nuclear deal was awful that I have seen. Highly recommend everyone take a few minutes to watch. So let's listen to it. Well, look, I hope that those candidates will reconsider because it would be very dangerous for the state of Israel. I I want to explain, because we forget things so quickly, why Israel opposed the nuclear deal with Iran. Um, If there were a deal on the table that would actually block Iran's path to a bomb, I would have gone house to house in this country to convince people to support it. The reason why we opposed it was because that is not what the deal does. Uh, And the statements at the time that this did block Iran's path to a bomb were simply untrue. Had somebody said, "We we think this deal provides 10 or 15 years where it's unlikely that they're going to break to the bomb. That would have been a true statement. 
But the danger in the deal is all the restraints that were put in place in this deal are automatically removed in 10 to 15 years, which seems like a long time in the life of politics, and it is, but it's a blink of an eye in the life of a country. And our concern was that when this deal is in place, Iran, all they have to do is wait. They don't have to change their behavior. They just wait, and we're already four years beyond it. So it's not 10 to 15. Now it's 6 to 11, and the time will move very, very quickly. And Iran will not have to sneak in or break into the nuclear club. They just walk into the nuclear club. That's what the deal does. And that's why the prime minister opposed it. And understand, Iran is advancing its nuclear weapons program today. It is advancing its nuclear weapons program today. If you think the deal froze it, you're wrong. Because Iran is doing research and development on advanced centrifuges. Which is They're permitted, working to which is permitted under the deal. Which is permitted. Yeah, there's a, the greatest line in this 130-something page document, if I recall, was that Iran can only do research on the IR-246 and 8 over the next decade. Now, IR-246 and 8, those are second generation, fourth generation, sixth generation, eighth generation centrifuges. That's like telling Apple that over the next decade, they can only do research on the iPhone 12, 13, 14, and 15. It's funny, but it's a real deal. It actually is funny. But what, ha what Iran had to do on this deal for its nuclear program was mothball the iPhone 3 while it continues to work on new iPhones under the deal. And it gets its ballistic missile program and it starts advancing it. And we know from the nuclear archive that they were much more advanced in weaponization than anybody thought. So they just, in 2030, when all the restraints were removed, they just walk into it and they put all the elements in place. That's why this deal was a disaster. In addition to that, it created another problem, which is by removing the sanctions, it created a tailwind of, of a huge inflow of cash into Iranian coffers, many, many tens and hundreds of billions of dollars. You remember that the debate, if it was $50 billion or $100 billion, that was the signing bonus of the deal. That was the small money. That was Iranian money that was parked in foreign bank accounts, money from their sales of oil that was parked in accounts that they could repatriate to Iran. The big money in the deal is the ability to export oil. Iran was exporting, about a year ago, nearly 3 million barrels of oil a day, about 2.8 million barrels a day. Now, what's the price of oil this morning? 65, 70. Okay, so they were almost at 3. This, this month, this month, a half a million barrels a day. So it's a difference of over 2 million barrels a day. Now, at $65, that's $130 million a day which is $4 billion a month, which is $50 billion a year, which over 10 or 15 years is 500 to $750 billion. Now, I'd like to believe that all that money that starts flowing into Iran's coffers would go to establishing a GI Bill for returning members of the Revolutionary Guard. <laughs> but instead, all it did was fuel Iran's war machine in the Middle East and creating acute threats to Israel's security. You know, you had this the issue in the last couple of weeks where Iran was trying to flex its muscles and doing all sorts of things by proxy and, out, and otherwise. And people said, wow, this is endangering. Trump's, uh, President Trump's actions are endangering the Middle East. Where have you been the last three or four years? Iran is everywhere, in Syria, in Lebanon, in Yemen, in Gaza, in Iraq, everywhere, attacking everybody. And what happened with the decision of President Trump is he pulls out of the deal 
which, as I said, is a glide path to a nuclear arsenal. And then by restoring sanctions, you turn a tailwind into a headwind. And you remember a year ago, people said, if, Iran, if the United States leaves by itself, it will never be able to actually have the massive sanctions regime. Why were the sanctions so effective? People were probably here a year, not here in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem yeah. telling you, well, if America goes by itself, it's never going to be able to have the strong sanctions that we had under the previous administration because then we got the whole world on board. Nonsense. There was only one question. Would the United States use its economic power to make countries choose between doing business with a $400 billion Iranian economy or a $21, $22 trillion U.S. economy? That was the question, and it's always been the question. And the answer with this administration was yes. And because they did that, they have now forced a dramatic change, which has been essential for Israel's security. And I've said it publicly many times. I will say it again here. The decision of President Trump to withdraw from the nuclear deal and to restore U.S. sanctions is the single most important decision ever made by an American president for Israel's national security, ever. Now, what, what does it mean in terms of your question? What it means, I was just setting up the answer. What does it mean for your question? You're going to return to the same exact deal? What does that mean? To return to the same deal, which I don't understand at all, because the U.S. has huge leverage right now that's been created by what President Trump has done. But to return to the deal would be returning to the same path that leads to nuclear weapons. We were on cruise control heading off a cliff. And everyone says the deal was working. It's like saying the cruise control is working as we get closer and closer to the cliff. And Trump turns it this way. Now somebody's saying, no, I want to go right back to the cruise control, right towards the cliff. And you're going to now remove the sanctions, which are going to give hundreds of billions of dollars to an avowed enemy of Israel that, will, that wants to wage war against us. Right now, Iran, as I said, is facing the headwinds. Right now, the fuel of that war machine is drying up. Why would you possibly want to go back into the deal? It is dangerous for Israel. It is dangerous for our Arab neighbors. So you have leaders in Europe, the Foreign Minister Mogherini, who says this deal made the Middle East safer. We live in the Middle East. We're the guinea pigs of this failed experiment. But they're going to tell us, the French, the Germans, your allies, are telling you to go back into the deal. Israel's an ally of the United States. Some of our Arab neighbors are allies of the United States. We live in the, re in the region. Listen to us. One difference between this deal and what happened in the case of the, uh, North Korea, which I think is an important moral difference to keep in mind. When you had six-party talks with the North Korea, two of those six parties, the Japanese and the South Koreans, they were at the negotiating table. And Japan and South Korea were practically begging both the Clinton administration and the Bush administration to do deals with North Korea. Now, I think that has to count for something. Morally, it has to count for something. If your allies who have the most skin in the game are telling you to do a deal, you have to have a pretty good reason to overlook that and to turn against those countries that are going to actually be on the front lines. In the case of the nuclear deal with Iran, Israel was not there. The Arab states were not there. We both opposed it. They did not say so publicly. 
The Prime Minister of Israel had the courage to say publicly what everybody in the region thought when he came and he spoke in Congress. And we were not at the negotiating table. And somebody told me a long time ago, if you're not sitting around the table, you're probably on the menu. <laughs> and Israel, it's so the, the bottom line is this. Certainly in the Middle East. I hope that all of these candidates will not get locked into a political position. I don't think they've studied the whole issue. I don't think they've had all the briefings, which makes, I think, the job of organizations like this even more important. Tell them the facts. There were a lot of hopes in 2015. There were a lot of question marks about what would be. Now we're living in exclamation points. We know what happened. Let's not go back to the same failed experiment. Let's do something else. They don't necessarily have to have the same position as the current administration. But to go back to the same deal would be a danger, a fundamental danger to Israel. And I hope they will reconsider. And, you know, we'll see what happens. It makes my job, you know, that much harder. And, and, and it makes your job that much harder and that much more important. You know, unlike Democrats, Republicans can actually root for people, vote for people, and disagree with them at the same time. We talk about Trump cult, and it's a cult, and look at all those cultists, and yeah, they're cultists for every political candidate. There were Obama cultists that had pictures of him with a halo and votives. And there are Trump people that decorate their whole fucking house and buy that crazy-ass fucking, um, what the fuck was it? It was the teddy bear of Trump with yellow hair. But then there are people who just support him, which I do on some things, and vote for him because you put up shitty candidates, Democrats, and can disagree. So with the Iran deal... The first thing Democrats, progressives, the media do, well, you're a racist. You just hate them. No. It was a bad deal. It was put together by a fucking bus driver, part-time fiction writer, who became a guy who went over to a foreign country and did a deal. Ben Rhodes. Totally unqualified. I mean, how many sound bats do we pl- sound bots did we play in 2016 of how shitty Trump's people were, unqualified? We heard that. But that's how Obama did things, and so people disagreed with it. They weren't xenophobic. Iran are some bad dudes. I've said it. When I was in Afghanistan, they were in Western Afghanistan. I got them a CIA. Dude just told me directly, we see him, we're just letting him be there. Trying to see what they were going to do. They were out at Rhino after the Marines vacated it. They're no different than any other country. They're going to finger fuck to do their best thing for their country. And wherever we're at, just like Russia did and we did. But people are so apoplectic about this and they lose their fucking minds. Here's Maple Leeds Foods. I'm Michael McCain, CEO of Maple Leeds Foods, and these are personal reflections. I'm very angry at time. It makes me less angry. An MLF colleague of mine lost his wife and family this week to a needless, irresponsible series of events in Iran. U.S. government leaders, unconstrained by checks and balances, concocted an ill-conceived plan to divert focus from the political woes. That world knows Iran. The world knows that Iran is a dangerous state, but the world found a path to contain it. Not perfect, not perfect, but by most accounts, it was the right direction. A narcissist in Washington tears world accomplishments apart, destabilizes 
civilized region. U.S. now unwelcome everywhere in the area, including Iraq. Tensions escalate to fever pitch, taking out despicable military leader terrorists with a question mark. There are hundreds like him standing next to the line. The collateral damage of this irresponsible, dangerous, ill-conceived behavior. 63 Canadians needlessly lost their lives in crossfire, including the family of one of my MLF colleagues, his wife and 11-year-old son. We are mourning, and I am livid. Michael McCain. Yeah, it sucks. It's not great. Iran did it. Iran did it. First and foremost, if you want to break it down to chickens, what military fucking plane looks like a 737, folks? Or whatever the fucking plane was. What was the plane? Some lady was saying on this Iraqi shit. What the fuck was it? The Step three, all around the kid because of Trump. Uh, plane out of the sky in recent years. Major airliners. Boeing. Where the fuck was the Boeing shit? Uh, ah, fuck it. You know what I'm saying? Fucking plane. I can't. Remember. I just read it, but I can't find it now because that's the way it is. But I mean, that doesn't look like a military plane. It doesn't come up on radar with a transponder. They fucked up. It's not because of Trump. There was nothing going on that night. This is days later. They were launching rockets in America, while our media said they're so restrained. So that Republicans do just what the Democrats do. Democrats have done multiple of these resolutions just to get their voice on record to say other side bad or I'm down for the cause. Kevin McCarthy, all of Congress can support a common sense resolution that condemns the government of Iran for shooting down a Ukrainian plane, expresses unequivocal support for Iranian protesters, calls on Iran regime to not use force against its own. Representative Vicki Hartzell, she's a woman, but she doesn't count because she's Republican. House Democrats blocked GOP leaders' resolution in support of the Iran protesters. I applaud McCarthy for trying to bring Republicans and Democrats together on this, supporting a resolution so basic should be the, shouldn't be this difficult. The House is better than this. Representative Doug LaMoffa, House Democrats, blocked resolution to stand behind Iranian protesters who are protesting a regime that chants death to America. These people are fighting for freedom and risking their lives in the process. They need our support. Mike Waltz, Representative, Type 1H. This is Iran right now. Meanwhile, House Democrats just blocked the resolution supporting the Iran protests are currently being beaten for demanding justice and freedom of tyranny. These protesters deserve our support. Eric Michelson. GOP leader wanted the House to pass a resolution showing support for Iranian protesters, non-political, just standing with them. Democrats didn't call the vote. I ask if America's safer with Soleimani dead. Ask the 600 Gold Star families, of course, were safer. Kevin McCarthy. What a disappointment. Democrats just blocked a vote on resolution supporting the Iranian protesters. This is not the time for partisan politics. This should be a time for the U.S. Congress to speak with one voice to condemn an Iranian regime that kills its own. I have a soundbite of him talking, but I'll just say the replies. How is this partisan? How is this even a question? When do we begin questioning the role of America as a beacon of freedom and hope? Support the people of Iran, period. Free Iran. Well, when you have a political party that wants the USA to suffer under the same iron-fisted, do-what-we-say-or-else rule that Iran has for 40 years, the Democrat position kind of makes sense. 
go back to Project Veritas. This is a no-brainer between blocking support of peaceful protests and blocking recognition of the personnel involved in the strike on Soleimani. How does anyone think the Dems have anything other than anti-Trump on their agenda? Yeah. But this is who we're dealing with. The Democrats align more with Iran and protesters that say death to America, because you heard Radis. oh, their unity was shattered. Mm. They wouldn't step on an American flag. Here's Assad Bag. UK ambassador to Iran has flown back to Britain. UK says his planned working visit. He was detained briefly on Saturday evening after attending a vigil in Tehran for victims of Ukrainian airline. Memory. Iranian Ayatollah Ahmed Amahullah, UK ambassador, should be chopped into pieces. Hundreds of thousands of U.S. soldiers were killed in our missile attack. Iranians who refused to step on flags in Israel, U.S. should be court-martialed, executed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another one. After he flew back... <clears throat> they said it's a routine trip and unconnected to his arrest at a vigil for Flight 752 dead and expulsion calls for judiciary. Yesterday, his effigy was burned in Tehran. Yesterday, the judiciary spokesman said it was unacceptable to see the British ambassador in Tehran attend an illegal gathering, take photos and videos, have an instigator role. He said in international law, such a person is declared persona non grata and the hosting country can ask him to leave. He said he was unacceptable person and called for him to be sacked. There was also protests yesterday where the effigy of UK Ambassador Robert McCarran was burned in Iran. Effigy of British Ambassador in Iran being burned. Pictures and everything. But my favorite is Brian Mast. Now remember, C-SPAN just says this way. Brian Mast of the name of fallen service member that doesn't justify salami killing. I will sit here and wait. Elliot Engel. Thank you, Mr. Mass. I think you made your point. Representative Mass. Mr. Chairman, I'm not yielded back my time. Nothing in there is that this guy lost two fucking legs for this country. Now I want a question to ask a question. Some people might call this rhetorical, but I'm not going to ask it as rhetorical. There's a number of my colleagues still remaining here. I'm more than willing to yield to any of my colleagues that want to answer this question. If you walk out this hallway and you take a right and another right and another right, you're going to come to a several beautiful walls that have the names of our fallen service members from the War on Terror. And I would ask, can any of you provide me one name on that wall that doesn't justify killing Soleimani? i got two minutes and 30 seconds. I'll be more than happy to sit here and wait. Somebody provide me with a name on that wall that does not justify his killing. Well, the gentleman may continue. I'm continuing, Mr. Chairman. I got two minutes remaining. I will sit here and wait for somebody to provide me with a name on that wall that does not justify the killing of Soleimani.
Thank you, Mr. Mass. I think you've made your point. Mr. Phillips. Mr. Chairman, I have not yielded back my time, and I still oh, have a minute and 45 seconds You are disrupting the I will not right yield now. back my time, Mr. Chairman. You are disrupting I have a minute and 45 Mass. seconds remaining, of which I would like to wait for somebody to provide me with a name I of think somebody you, I on think our you've memorial wall points. who does You're not order, justify Mr. Mass. the killing of soldiers. You are out of I order. I will not yield you back my time. You are out of order, Mr. Mass. I will Mr. not Chair, yield back my time. Point. I am Mr. not Chair, out of order. Mr. You Chair, I'll, I'll yield a minute. Chairman, for reclaiming this time. Mr. Chair, I'll yield a minute of my time to Mr. Mast. Well, he's got time. Thank you. Thank you, my colleague. I appreciate it. Tell me when. Uh, Mr. Chair, if I might begin. Yeah, um, thank you for yielding me your time. Although I did not yield my time back, I thank you. I will note that there was no response of one name offered that did not justify the killing of Soleimani. That perfectly sums up the left. Because they don't know the names. They don't even fucking care. They don't care that under Obama more people died in Afghanistan than did under Bush. They don't care that Obama nuked 3,000 some odd people. I actually pulled up data and once again, it took me some time to pull this shit up. And I didn't put it in my script because I really wanted to fucking be able to, you know, peruse it without having to edit out all this crap. But we'll start with Snopes. <clears throat> Did President Obama order more drone, more than 500 drone strikes? The drone program has ratcheted up a successive administration. This is from 6 January 2020. All right? And I'm going to tell you, when I logged into this yesterday, that is not what it said. It was a Snope from 2017. They've changed this. Two days into 2020 New Year, U.S. President Donald Trump ordered a strike, kill Iranians, blah, 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 blah. Uh, setting off and escalating events, including to Iran pulling out of the 2015 nuclear deal and U.S. and other world powers' threat of retaliation. Critics of the president's decision voiced fears that it brought the U.S. to the brink of yet another long, bloody war in the Middle East. But some of Trump's supporters pointed out the former President Barack Obama also engaged in drone warfare. warfare. 
For instance, social media users widely shared a statistic that Obama ordered 542 drone strikes while president, resulting in the deaths of 3,797 people, including 542 civilians. Snopes.com readers asked us to verify the figure. Here is an example of the information on how it was being used on social media, and they show people saying it. Yeah, it's there. Other than an apparent typo in the civilian death count, you see that? It's Snopes is so liberal, because that's the first thing liberals do. They are in there and typos. The figures being shared are based on reporting of a political scientist, Maiko Zenko, who in 2017 reported for a nonprofit research organization, Council on Foreign Relations, that the 542 drone strikes that Obama authorized killed an estimated 3,797 people, including 324 civilians. Zenko's figures are based on U.S. military press release and news reports. As Zinko noted, the Office of Director of National Intelligence released two reports tallying drone strikes under Obama. The first reported that there were 473 strikes between January 20th, 2009 and December 31st, 2015 in areas of active hostilities that include Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria. The second reported that there were another 53 strikes in the same region for 2016, bringing the total of 526. The report provided ranges for fatalities with 2,372 to 2,581 combatants killed from 2009 to 2015 and 64 to 116 civilian kills in the same time frame. In 2016, one civilian was killed, while the report stated there were 431 to 441 combatants killed. Exact figures on total numbers of strikes and resulting casualties depend on sources. Independent organizations that attract airstrikes may in the U.S.-led global war on terror generally produce figures that are higher than those produced by the U.S. government. The Bureau of Investigation Journalism, for example, reported there were a total of 563 airstrikes authorized by Obama, largely by drones, which hit targets of Somalia, Yemen, Pakistan, which we were not at war in Yemen, Somalia, and Pakistan. Meanwhile, New America Public Policy Think Tank estimates there were 571 drone strikes on the Obama administration in Somalia and Yemen and Pakistan alone. The drone program under Obama's strike that killed Soleimani are not apt comparisons. The U.S. has been carrying out drone warfare in the region since the administration of Bush. Although such warfare has also been controversial, the fallover killing Soleimani as a result of the status of the reigning government. Reuters reported, and they go back and do the liberal two-step, that this isn't the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. Here's Andrea Mitchell. It's not the same. That. Joining me now to sort it all out is Jeff Mason, White House correspondent for Reuters. Jeff, as you well know, it was the administration who raised the subject of imminence. That's the standard that they put out there, Pompeo and, of course, the president himself that expanded on it. If you can talk about it on Fox to Laura Ingram and talk about it in Toledo, how can Mike Pence then say, well, we can't talk about what the justification is? You know, secondly, the droning of terrorists is not the same as droning and killing a general who is part of a state government. Sure. there's a legal, a legal distinction there. Yeah, absolutely. And you sort of have to listen to William Barr's comments, and it made me think, 
they're showing a little bit of regret for not having just said from the very beginning this wasn't about imminence, this was about taking somebody out who needed to be taken out, which you've heard Trump say repeatedly, this is a bad guy, we needed to get him. But for something as weighty as potential war with an adversary like Iran, they didn't have a, a clear and still don't have a clear, consistent explanation for why they, they did that particular attack. There is no difference. There's no difference. But this was not reported in the same way. There's another one from uh, uh, Archive CJR, Columbia, uh, Columbia Journalism Review. And they literally are dogging the media because they didn't really, they didn't talk about it. It was something they didn't fucking cover because it's Obama. I mean, he had fucking hit list. He did it out of the White House. And once again, yay! Yay! Fucking A, good for you. But there's one from, um, once again, uh, this is CFJ, Council on Foreign Relations. 540 strikes in just Pakistan. It's more than they're putting out. He didn't do 542 strikes, killing 3,797. This one says just in Pakistan. And the original one was, uh, you can get it at the Bureau of Investigative.com, the one Snopes talked about. And um, the date on this is January 17, 2017. And the bottom, uh, let me see, it's just 2016 labeled. Three strikes of Pakistan, 38 in Yemen, 14 in Somalia, 10,071 strikes in Afghanistan. So they're saying way more than just the 542. They're saying just in 2016. He did 1071, 14, 38, 3. Total people killed. Afghanistan, 1600. Somalia, 292. Yemen, 203, 12. Civilians reported 1, 5, and 101. That was just 2016. Then they have December 2016, 0... 2016, 14, 209 in Somalia. I mean, this thing breaks it down. He whacked some fools. And it's way more than 542. And no, it is not different. It's the same goddamn thing. They're fucking terrorists. Terrorists. I mean, they're terrorists. That's what we do. We kill terrorists. If we're Democrats, it's okay. It's valid. It's the right thing to do. He's protecting America. And we don't report it. That New York Times thing came out about his little hit list, and it went away like the fucking bathwater. Just bathwater. It just went the fuck away. But it's an election year. He's got an R behind his name, and his last name's Trump. We're going to goose this motherfucker for all we can. But Mast hit the point that's not being hit. This guy you love so much that the fake funerals you fell for, the PR kick out of Iraq or Iran, 
he waxed Americans. He killed a lot of soldiers. He wounded and maimed a shit ton of soldiers. He wasn't head of a country. He was head of an internationally recognized fucking terrorist organization. And he had that shit coming. So, this will conclude 11620A. We're going to go out to a music break. And then you're going to come in on 11620B. going to play the intro music so you know it's a podcast. But we're going to go right into news, social, media nuggets. Well, it was just outside of Jersey, but not in the actual state. Donnie drilled metal things in a mill. Danger was his fate. But his desire burned like fire for a stealthy gal named Kate. She's a My life apart Roundhouse, crank kick, elbow chop Ninja stole my heart and she wouldn't stop Bow staff, blow dart, samurai blade Ninja went off like a ninja grenade Grilling through smoke bomb, vanished with a spark She's more deadly than a robot shark A robot shark, how sweet would that be? Mechanical beast, swimming out to sea She's a love ninja I love ninja Love ninja Snap the neck of my heart She's a my life apart Kate was trapped by the blue dragon clan She kicked with her feet, she punched with her hand In her wake she left a trail of the dead Till she took a ninja star to the head They say she died in a black puff of smoke That was the day that Donnie's heart broke But he knows she's watching him from above Way up in the rafters Ready to strike middle love hey, oh. She's a love ninja A love ninja My life apart. I asked you to marry me, stab me in the back. I wish you didn't look so hot and black, like a vampire tiger sucking blood in the dark. I wonder if that could be a robot shark. Robot shark versus vampire tiger. Who'd be tougher? Maybe a werewolf spider. A were spider? How crazy is that? You know, be crazier a zombie cat. She's a love ninja, a love ninja, love ninja. Snap the neck of my heart. She's a. Shut my life apart.